As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about the Clinton 12. And I'll be talking about the murder of Adrian Reynolds. Are there other ways that you'd like to police my body, ma'am? <laughs> we just had to re-record our opening <laughs> because Kristen's over here. You guys can't see what I'm doing, but she was flailing her arms about. Here's the thing past two nights in a row. I have not slept well at all. And now you're here. I'm feeling a little goofy. Mm. We had pie we for lunch. We did have pie. Now I've got coffee. Ooh. Life is good. Ooh, yeah. Life is, I don't mean to brag <laughs> to you people, but I had coffee and pie today. <laughs> I've had no coffee, but you know what I do have? What? Oh, your gross G Fuel stuff? Okay. Delicious, delicious G Fuel. They have not reached Still out with Still trying to get a sponsorship. <laughs> and I would like to be sponsored by pie. <laughs> Just any pie? Just any pie. What about like those Edmunds frozen pies? Oh my God, fuck no. <laughs> those are terrible. Did well, you know great. how I feel about those I pies? had no idea how you got them. <laughs> I feel very strong. Those are terrible. Okay. There right. is. Sorry, well, excuse me. They were about pie. to send us a bunch of pie and a bunch of money, and now they're like, well, we don't like you either. Please send only the money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome to the podcast, everyone. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about pie. What if. Do you think we could do a pie podcast? And we call it a pie cast? <gasps> Each okay, each week mm-hmm. we sample a new pie, mm-hmm. and then we just talk about it. That sounds like a terrible podcast. No, it sounds great. <laughs> be like that. What that would SNL our reviews sketch. be like for that? It'd be like, I came here for a straightforward story about whether a peanut butter pie would be good, <laughs> and now I'm listening to some story about butt plugs. <laughs> That's exactly what would happen. That's exactly what would happen. We'd go on a tangent. <laughs> That's exactly. What People would be pissed. They barely tolerate us now. (laughs) Anyway. Oh, boy. I think we should just stick to eating pie and talking about pie with each other. Maybe not. Okay. Yeah. And we'll leave the butt plug talk to this podcast. Darn right. We do talk about it. I have a kind of a lot. We were just talking about butt plugs before we started recording. We we but were. We, but not like, not sexual butt plugs. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> All the prudes were very ready to be offended. Yeah, they were clutching their pearls. Uh, yeah. oh, don't worry. No pleasure no, involved. No, no. We're uh-uh. talking about when we die. How they, yeah, they have to put a cork in your anus, basically. 
And I said, you need two corks in your <laughs> I said, that's nice that they do that. It's nice. <laughs> that's a weird way to describe it. Yeah, it's really nice. I'm going to enjoy spending all of eternity with a cork in my butt. I'm just saying, for the people who show up to your funeral, that's a courtesy. <laughs> also, I think, you know, anyone who does a job that I wouldn't want to do, like oh. stick a plug up a dead person's butt, very kind of them. I what? Why? Oh my God! That was terrifying the way you looked at me when you said that. You want to do it? I think I could be a mortician. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Of course you could be a mortician, oh, you know. but you shouldn't be like looking forward to the part where you <laughs> stick no, a plug no, no. up someone's. That's not the most desirable part to me. Oh, you you say that now, but I saw the look <laughs> on your face. You lit up like a Christmas tree. I would be a great mortuary scientist. I don't know what they call themselves these days. Yeah. I think they call themselves butt pluggers. <laughs> I don't think they do. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, you want to talk about a murder? No, I don't. I am a business cat, Brandy. Oh, okay, you want to talk about our Patreon? Yes! Oh my oh, oh, god. We got a hot new bonus episode out. We sure do. And it is good. Mm-mm-mm. What, what did we talk, talk about? about? I don't remember. <laughs> I talked about a cold case. Oh, wait. Yes. And I was so fucking disturbed. I mm-hmm. sat there with my hands yeah. around my neck, which yeah. is something I do when I'm very uncomfortable, yeah. which probably makes me more uncomfortable, right? I mean, yeah, probably. probably. No, maybe it's like soothing. Also, <laughs> my case was quite good. Had you guessing oh. right and left, and you were wrong every time, which I was. satisfied me greatly. <laughs> also, I was. You know what we're doing in just a few short hours, ma'am? A Zoom hangout. Zoom hangout with the patrons. And you'll be teaching us how to s- curl our hair with a straightening iron, That's which exactly sounds right. impossible. It's it's possible, and I will show you how. If you want in on all this sweet, sweet action, just sign up at the $5 level for the bonus episodes. we got 26 of those bad boys. Whoa. And then, you know, you can sign up for higher levels to get more stuff. The Zoom Hangout, that's a mere $7 a month. Uh, the $10 level, you can get our episodes a day early and ad-free. Also 10% off merch, you get a sticker. You just get, you get in- the, the works. The rewards are endless. The works. That's right. That's right. All right. Now I'm done being a business cat. Okay. I suppose I'll let you tell me about other things now. Um, a murder. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> of course a murder. <laughs> you know, okay, so you know how we always call dibs on our cases. Yeah. My case this week is such a Christian case. Yeah. That I was like, 
I, I don't really need don't to call need dibs on this. Yeah. Like if she comes in and tells the story, I will shit my pants. Yeah. Like just happily <laughs> shit my pants. <laughs> Uh, a couple of shout outs right off the top. First of all, to Gail Weathers uh, in the Discord, which is a, a lovely name, is uh, Courtney Cox's character's name in the movie Scream, which is a horror think, movie. Do you think she actually did that on purpose or is her real name Gail Weathers? No, she's for sure paying homage to Courtney Cox in Scream. You think? I mean, that's a pretty, yes. that's a pretty like niche... Yes. Okay. This woman's name is not Gail Weathers. Gail Weathers, if that's your real name, I will eat Kristen's hat. <laughs> what do you think I was going to say? Shit. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I'm also picturing all the Gail Weathers like listening to this getting very offended. Like, it's a real name. Real no, people it's have. Not. You don't think Gail Weathers is a real name? Maybe for a meteorologist. <laughs> She didn't even want to become a meteorologist, but she had she no choice. She had to. <laughs> anyway, okay. also, shout out to the podcast, which, okay. Brandy, what the hell? <laughs> okay. I thought you said this was the, <laughs> the only, only podcast, podcast for you. <laughs> okay, so full disclosure, I did not listen to this podcast. I found a... What? Transcript of it on their website. And I had a really hard time figuring out the name of this podcast. So I had to go what? on a search for it. I believe it is called True Crime Family Killer Profiles. Okay. Okay. I believe there's only three episodes of this podcast. Okay. Um, two of which are about this case. Uh-huh. Um, but they're like part of a network, it looks like. Okay, okay. And uh, the, somebody, one of the hosts of this podcast... It has a connection to this case. She grew up where this case happened. Okay. Or she or he. I don't know why I said she. Somebody. Yeah, they, because you didn't even listen to I their voices. I just read the <laughs> You weirdo. <laughs> the transcript. Also, shout out to an episode of Dateline, <laughs> which I also read. <laughs> Did not watch. <laughs> what? I like reading that. I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. Um, You know what I've liked doing recently? What? You know how it's a pain in the ass to chew food? I just throw everything in a blender. <laughs> blender. Mm-hmm. Better That's to not drink the same. <laughs> not the same. Also, to an episode of an oxygen show, which I will not name. Snapped. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which I did actually watch. Oh, wow. Very good of you. <laughs> so, read the podcast, read the Dateline episode, uh-huh. watched the episode of Snapped. Snorted a steak and baked potato. (laughs) Oh, here we go. It was early evening on January 21st, 2005, when Joanne Reynolds arrived at her East Moline, Illinois home. As she walked through her house, she noticed that something was off. It wasn't anything major, but she noted that her stepdaughter, Adrian, hadn't done her chores. Adrian could be a bit unpredictable, but it wasn't like her just to skip her chores. Then Joanne walked past Adrian's room and saw that her work uniform was laid out on her bed. Adrian worked at Checkers, the <gasps> fast food restaurant. Yes. You know, with the double drive through. I'm picturing, picturing it now. It. Apparently, they have really good fries. 
Yeah, so I've never actually eaten one at one, mm-hmm. so I don't know why I'm so excited, but Norm used to eat one in Elizabeth City all the time. Thought yeah, I don't think great. we had them here. I think they're more of a southern thing. Yeah. Well, and also an Illinois thing. Illinois thing. thing. By the way, you mispronounced the name of this city. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> the East is silent. It's uh-huh. just Moline. <laughs> anyway, so her uniform was laid out on the bed, but at this point... Adrian's shift should have already started, and Joanne knew that there was no way that she would have missed her shift. She was an excellent employee, and she wasn't one to call in or be late. So Joanne just got, like, this sick feeling in her stomach. She knew she needed to call her husband, Adrian's adoptive father, Tony Reynolds, so that they could figure out what was going on. So Adrian had moved to East Moline from Texas to live with Tony and Joanne just a few months earlier. She had been struggling just kind of with life in general, and she had just never had an easy time in life. Her biological mother had given birth to her when she was a teenager, and she hadn't been able to care for Adrian. And so Adrian had been adopted by her maternal grandmother, Barbara, Hmm. and her husband, Tony Reynolds. When Adrian was three, though, her adoptive parents divorced and she spent some time kind of floating between different family members' homes. But she always stayed close with Tony. That is until he went to prison for selling meth, which is short for methamphetamines, Kristen. A lot of people don't know that. Thank you. (laughs) During that time, Adrian spent some time living with her biological mother and a couple of different stepfathers. It was a super rough time for her. And by the time that she was 12, Adrian was dealing with things well beyond her years. There were allegations of abuse going on in her home. Mm. She'd been arrested for assault a couple of times. She was using drugs and alcohol. She'd spent some time in rehab. And she'd made multiple attempts to die by suicide by the age of 12. Wow. Yeah. That poor girl. Yeah. When Adrian was a teenager, the state of Texas was going to intervene and remove Adrian from her living situation, which I believe at that time she was living with her biological mother. But her biological mother interfered. Interfered? Oh, that sounds bad. <laughs> That's bad. Is that, That's like is that a, more? It's forceful? an escalated version of intervening. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> her biological mother intervened, as it turns out. Have you ever seen the show Intervention? <laughs> It's like so much more hardcore than intervention. (laughs) Instead of saying like why they love the person, they just smack them. (laughs) That tough love. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm in a goofy mood. Adrian's biological mother called Tony Reynolds and she begged him to take Adrian. She said he needed to save her from having to go through foster care and by this time, Tony had completed his prison sentence and he'd moved back to Illinois, which is where he'd grown up. And in Illinois, he had worked really hard to get his life back on track. He married his high school sweetheart, Joanne, and he got a good drop. <laughs> and he got a good job as a truck driver. When Tony How received... How did he hold that drop? <laughs> you asshole. Now we have to leave that in. <laughs> you know what? I was like, uh-oh, she corrected it. Now Patty's going to cut it. <laughs> My mouth just 
feels like my spit's like molasses right now. <laughs> Why don't you chug down some of that G fuel? Mm. Mm. Lube in that mouth right up. Okay. That's, that's right. This is a family podcast. Mm-hmm. My mouth is moister than those semen undies from your case oh. on the bonus episode. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's right. You asked for it. Everybody. <laughs> There's just a taste of what you're missing <laughs> on our Patreon. Anyway, where the fuck was I? <laughs> he just gotten a drop. Oh, that's right. So he got a good as job a as a driver. As a truck driver. When Tony received the call from Adrian's biological mother asking him to take her in, he was all for it. He'd always tried to remain a part of her life, but Joanne had some concerns. She knew Adrian had been through a lot, and as a result, was what some might call a troubled girl. And Joanne had two sons of her own living in the house. But she and Tony talked, and they decided that Adrian could come live with them, but that there would be some very clearly set expectations. Adrian would have to get a job, she'd have to go to school, she'd have to help around the house. When Adrian arrived in East Moline, she was 16 and had essentially no high school credits. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But instead of starting over, the Reynolds decided it would be best to enroll Adrian at, like, the alternative school. It was called the Black Hawk College Outreach Center. And it was offered all kinds of different, like, school paths. And Adrian specifically went there with the goal of getting her GED so that she could join the Marines. And she started there in November of 2004. And all seemed to be going fairly well. Um, By January of 2005, she'd made some friends, had been going to class, had a job she enjoyed. All all the stuff was checking all the boxes. So now we're back to January 21st, 2005, and Joanne is concerned. So Joanne brought her concerns to Tony, and he wasn't anywhere as alarmed as Joanne was. But he did think it warranted some phone calls to try and track Adrian down. So they started calling people and... They didn't have any luck. No one had seen her. No one had heard from her. And so finally they decided to go up to Checkers where Adrian worked. It was when they got there and talked to Adrian's manager that Tony began to worry. Not only had Adrian not showed up for her shift, she hadn't even been by to pick up her paycheck that day. Hmm. With that information, Tony was convinced that Joanne was right. Something was wrong that was just so out of character for her. So on a day that she'd get paid, I guess she'd like typically right after she got out of school, go get her check, take it to the bank. Yeah. And then, yeah, super normal. And so like for her not to have done that, he's like, okay, something's definitely off. be very strange. Yeah. So again, they took to the phones and started making phone calls to anybody who might know Adrian. They called family members. They called some friends. But Adrian hadn't been in the area that long. She didn't know that many people. By eight o'clock that evening, they, with no sign of Adrian, they decided it was time to call the police. Shortly after calling the East Moline Police Department, they sent out a patrolman to the Reynolds house and he sat down and took a report and they told him all about Adrian's past and her new life there in East Moline. And he asked them if there was any way that she was possibly a runaway. And Tony said, no, not at all. She didn't pick up her paycheck. Yeah. If she was, if she had run away, she would have stopped and gotten her paycheck. 
I think that's an excellent yeah. point. Yeah. And so the police thought this was an excellent point, too. They were like, okay. And then they documented, you know, the more concerning things about her past, that there were suicide attempts in her past, that she had had some mental health issues, some issues with drug and alcohol. And they were like, okay, this is a, a good kid who has had a really tough situation. And it seems like there's maybe something to this missing girl. Mm-hmm. And they told the Reynolds that they would start investigating immediately. And they asked Tony and Joanne who they had already talked to. And so they gave them kind of like the phone tree of who they'd talked to that day. And and the officers decided to follow up, make some phone calls to those same people, see if they could get anywhere further than Tony and Joanne had. And so they started calling and talking to people. And as they did, the same couple of names kept coming up in all of these conversations they were having with people. The names were Sarah Kolb and Corey Gregory. Sarah and Corey were fellow students at the Black Hawk College Outreach Program. Are you super worried you're going to mispronounce that again? Okay, I feel like I'm going to say Black Hawk. (laughs) (laughs) I wondered why you were saying it like that. Like, every word was just a precious little gem. There was a space. Yeah. 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 Black Hawk College Outreach Program sounds different. (laughs) It does. It has a whole entirely different different, connotation. Having trouble with your daughter showing up for school? Send her to to Black Black Cock. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'd only read that name before in my head, never said Mm -hmm. it out loud, Mm -hmm. didn't even think it would be an issue. (laughs) You know, if you'd actually listened to the podcast, (laughs) you would have heard them stumble as well. So Sarah and Corey were students that Adrian had met at her GED program, and they had befriended her. And Sarah was reportedly like the popular girl at this alternative mm-hmm. school, and Corey was her best friend and trusty sidekick, though it was very clear to everyone that knew them that he wanted to be much more than that to her. So officers reached out to Sarah Kolb first, and Sarah was like, so they just did a phone interview with her, Mm -hmm. and they recorded this, so I heard clips of this, and at first Sarah was like, they call her and they're like, we're checking to see if you have contact with your friend Atrian today. And she said, first of all, we're not friends. Oh. Yeah. And they're like, okay, good to know. And then she went on to say, but... Yes, she had seen her that day. They'd had lunch together at Taco Bell. Mm -hmm. She said that they'd gone to lunch, and then after lunch, she'd given Adrian a ride and dropped her off at the McDonald's across the street from her house. And the police kind of were like, okay, why would you have dropped her off at the McDonald's? And she's like, well, she didn't want her dad to see her in the car with a boy. There was a boy in the car. And the police are like, okay, who was the boy that was in the car? And she was like, it was Corey Gregory. And they're like, okay, no problem. Thanks. Do you have any other information? And she's like, no, that's it. And they're like, okay. And Sarah's like, well, I mean, honestly, she probably just ran away. Mm. Seems like the type. Okay. And they're like, okay, great. Um, do you have any other people, you know, that we might want to touch base with or talk to? <sighs> and she gave him a couple of names. And then at the end of the call, right before she ended it, she said, 
you know, if you find her, if you hear anything, I'd really appreciate it if you'd give me a call. (laughs) And the officer was like, pretty weird since you just told me you weren't friends. Yeah. You'd be so concerned about her. Uh huh. So he got off the call and made a note of how, like, "Mm, okay, that seems pretty pretty weird. And so then he called Corey Gregory. And Corey Gregory told the exact same story. No, not friends with her. Did happen to have lunch with her today. I was with Sarah Kolb. We went to lunch at Taco Bell. And Sarah and Adrian got in a fight, but it was no big deal. And you don't the, go to lunch with people you're not friends with. Exactly. Exactly. And so at this point, the, the officer stops Corey and he's like, oh, there was a fight? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, no, no, no just not, not really a fight, just like a little argument. There was just like a little tiff. I, I don't even know what it was about. It ended in I a murder, but it was no I, big I deal. I totally wasn't paying attention. It was no big thing. We, had, we dropped her off at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And the officer's like, okay, thanks. If you think of anything else, please give us a call. So at this point, the police were sure that both Sarah and Corey knew more than they were letting on. And when they relayed this version of events to Tony, Tony was like, "Okay, no, that doesn't make sense. Because Tony wouldn't have freaked out if a boy was in the car. Here's what he said. So when they're telling him about how they dropped how Sarah and Corey said they dropped Adrian off at McDonald's. He was like, no, why would he have, why would they have done that? And he's like, the detective says, you know, oh, it was something about them, her not wanting you to see her get out of a car with a boy in it. And he's like, Adrian never would have asked them to do that because she wouldn't have needed to. She knows no one would have been home at that time of day. Mm. Joanne and I both work at, during the day. We are never home at that time. There would have yeah. been no reason for her to ask that. Oh, God. And so now Tony's like, Holy, these, yeah. these kids are lying. Yeah. And they're lying to cover something up. What are they covering up? And so the officer's like, wow, that's really helpful information. Like, thank you. And so he decides to go back and call Sarah again, kind of with this new information, see if he can, mm-hmm. like, prod her for any additional details. And so he calls and asks some more questions and says, you know, hey, talk to Corey Gregory. He mentioned something about a fight at Taco Bell. And Sarah was like, well, OK, it wasn't really a fight, but yeah, there was like a little thing. Yeah, I just, like, uh, it's stupid, and, like, I pulled her hair and told her not to mess with my boyfriend. My boyfriend was also there, and, like, oh, I, I think that she's kind of interested in my boyfriend, and so, like, I just, like, grabbed her by the hair and basically told her, you know, stay away from Corey, stay away from my boyfriend, and kind of just, like, was, like, this is my territory, back off kind of thing. Wait, so is Corey her boyfriend? Corey is not her boyfriend. Corey's her best friend who wants to be her boyfriend, but she also has a boyfriend who happened to be present that day at Taco Bell. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she's like, after that, though, it was no big deal. Like, we dropped her off at the McDonald's, and that was the end of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's like, she did punch me, though. Okay. And the officer's like, okay, all right. And she's like, yeah, and I 
I punched her too. And he's like, okay, or all right. And she's like, but she punched me harder. I mean, she got me really good. Mm-hmm. And he's like, great, okay. How about you come down to the station and let's do a formal interview? And let's and, get a look at how you look and let's take pictures of all the cuts. And yeah. So and by yeah. this time, a couple of days had passed and no one had there was no sign of Adrian. Mm-hmm. And so by the time Sarah comes down to the station, it's like I think it's Monday. So the weekend had passed. I think this happened on a Friday. So now it's Monday. Sarah comes down to the station to do her interview and she shows up with a lawyer mm-hmm. and her mom. And she repeated the same story that they'd gone to Taco Bell for lunch that day, that they had been friends at one point, she and Adrian, but then Adrian had, you know, been sleeping around with a bunch of guys from the school and she just didn't want to be friends with a slut. And so mm-hmm. um, also then Adrian seemed like she was really interested in Corey, her best friend. And while things with her and Corey weren't like that, she didn't want Adrian to date Corey. And so she just, you know, had told her what was what. And to just back off. Mm-hmm. And maybe it had gotten just like a little bit aggressive, but that was it. She dropped her off at McDonald's. This is scary shit. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, okay, we are obviously not getting the full story here, but they didn't have anything at that point to like keep her on. And so they had to let her go and... The next day, they asked Corey to come in and give an official statement. And again, so he came down, made the official statement, and he came with a lawyer as well. And Corey's mom sat out in, like, the waiting area of the police department while her son gave the statement with the officer present. And he told the same story. The whole There'd been an argument. He'd been present there for it. But he just stared out the window the whole time, smoked a cigarette. He didn't see anything. He doesn't really know what it was about. You know, and then they dropped her off at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. When they came out of the interview, Corey's attorney walked up to his mom and was like, this is no big deal. This is going to go away. It's just going to blow over. So that was Tuesday. That night, Corey went up to his father and just broke down, sobbing, crying, could not speak. Mm-hmm. And his dad's like, what's going on? And he's just trying to get words out. Corey's parents were divorced, and Corey's dad actually called his mom, had her come over to the house. Wow. And was like, something's going on. I think you need to be here for this. And so she came over, and Corey just was bawling, could not speak. He said he hadn't slept in a couple of days, and he just needed to get everything off his chest. And they're like, okay, what happened? And he couldn't, he couldn't tell them. And so his dad's like, did something happen in that car at Taco Bell? And he said, yes. And his dad said, did Adrian get hurt? Mm. And Corey said, really, really hurt. Yeah. And then he's like, okay. His dad was like, okay. And his mom's like, there's only one thing to do here. And so they called the police and they said that they were going to come in and Corey was going to give them a full statement. Mm -hmm. So they took their son to the police department and he told them what had happened on Friday, January 21st. So 
What we know of Corey's statement is that it likely minimizes yeah. his involvement. Of course. But this is kind of the gist of what happened and what he told the police. So he said that the three of them, Sarah and Adrian and Corey, had all been very good friends for several months. They were all big fans of the underground hip-hop group ICP. Oh. <laughs> they were self-described juggalos. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And as such, they regularly attended house parties with fellow juggalos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this isn't important to the story in any way. I just like It's it. important to you. <laughs> yep. That's a former juggalo yourself. Yes, that's correct. So it was apparently well known that Sarah was bisexual, and she actually was very attracted to Adrian when she first met her. And she made this known to Adrian. And Adrian wrote her some notes, like some flirty notes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then at one of these house parties, Adrian ended up like hooking up with two different guys and Sarah was pissed. They were in no kind of relationship or anything, yeah. but Sarah, yeah, kind of whatever, wouldn't speak to Adrian for a while. All of this stuff, like totally ended their friendship. She was mad about it. And then to try and like... She started calling. So Adrian was very upset that she'd lost one of her only friends in this new mm-hmm. town. So she started writing her notes in school and calling her on the phone. And then she started calling Corey. Like, maybe if I get in good with Corey, I can get back in with right. Sarah. Well, Sarah found out about this and was pissed that Adrian and Corey were having conversations behind her back. She got extremely territorial. Like I said, she and Corey were not in a relationship. Sarah had a boyfriend, but Corey was, by all accounts, obsessed with Sarah and would do whatever she asked. And so Mm -hmm. somebody else, you know, getting in between that might change that dynamic. And so, yeah, she was very upset when she learned about this. And so she totally cut off Adrian. She started writing stuff in her journal about how she was going to fucking kill Adrian. Yeah. And then on Friday, January 21st, she walked up to Adrian at school and asked her to come with them to lunch at Taco Bell. And Adrian was like, yes, absolutely. Oh, gosh. And so at noon, Adrian and Sarah and Corey and Sarah's boyfriend, Sean, all got in Sarah's little geo prism and drove to Taco Bell, which was like right down the street from school. Almost as soon as they got in the car and, like, pulled away from the school, Sarah, like, goes off on Adrian. She starts screaming at her. She confronts her. She says, you know, back off my people. This is my territory. You know, stop talking to Corey. Stop. He said that also you said you think my boyfriend's hot. Like, don't even look at him. Like, all this stuff. Oh, my Lord. By the time that they pulled into the Taco Bell parking lot, It had escalated so much that Sarah's boyfriend, Sean, got out of the car and walked back to school. Holy shit. Yeah. He was like, I'm not fucking dealing with this. So now Sarah and Adrian are sitting in the front seat of a car parked at Taco Bell. Uh And Corey's in the back seat. According to Corey, 
he didn't even know what was going on because he was just looking out the window smoking a cigarette. Yeah, of course, yeah. And then all of a sudden, Sarah has some kind of wooden stick that she keeps in the car for protection and she's hitting Adrian with it and there's blood. And then the next thing he knows, like he is... She takes his belt off and she's strangling Adrian with she his belt. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Uh huh. And he was totally not involved. Well, because uh, at some point the girls fought fought so much that they were now in the back seat when they'd started in the front seat, and he doesn't even really know what happened. And so he moved up to the front seat. He thinks, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, before he even knew it, Adrian was dead in the back seat of the car. This is the worst thing about wearing a belt is people so when people just, just take, take it off and, and you don't strangle even know, somebody else. You with don't it. even notice it because yeah. you're busy looking out the window. Yeah. So, what the most believed version of this is that they took her to the Taco Bell restaurant. They sat in the busy parking lot. It was cold outside, and so the windows fogged up, so nobody mm-hmm. could really see what was going on inside the car. But it's believed that Corey held. Adrian down and gave Sarah his belt and Sarah strangled her to oh death. Oh my god. In, yeah, that's much more believable. In than... the Taco Bell parking lot at lunchtime, a, a guy walked by the car at one mm-hmm. point and saw that it was like shaking and he Ew, thought he thought, he thought somebody, somebody was having, was having sex. sex in it. Yeah. He thought about calling the police because he was like what are you doing? This is a Taco Bell at lunch. It's a holy place. Yes. But he was like, you know what? I'm not getting involved in that. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either. Mm-mm. Yeah. So for a few minutes, according to Corey, they just sat there in the car and were like, holy shit, what just happened? And then they realized that they needed to do something with her body. And so Sarah suggested that they take Adrian to her family farm, which is like the next town over. So East Moline is actually part of the Quad Cities in Iowa, which sits on like the Iowa-Illinois border. Mm-hmm. And so there's like several, there's actually five cities that make up the Quad Cities, which well, is that very make confusing. Sense at all. Apparently there was a petition a while back to change it to the Quint Pent cities, cities. Oh. and nobody <laughs> And nobody liked that. And so it's still the Quad Cities, even though there's five cities that make it up. All right. Fair enough. Okay. (laughs) They tried. They tried. Yes, they did. Anyway, so there's like several towns around. And so one of the towns nearby, Sarah's family, I believe it was her grandmother, had a farm. So she's like, let's go to the farm. We'll... We'll bury her on the farm. And so they somehow, I think they drive away from Taco Bell, pull off to the side of the road at some point where they think they are out of view enough and they move Adrian's body to the trunk of the car. Um, Yeah. Wow. And then they drive to the farm and once they get there, they're like, oh, fuck, it's January. Yeah, they're not going to be able to dig. The ground is frozen. They can't dig. And so then they change the plan. They're going to cremate her instead because it's the right thing to do. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what Corey told the police. It was the right thing to do. Yeah, it seems like he really knows what the right thing Mm -hmm. is. Exactly. And so they, like, lay her on a tarp and put gasoline and set it on fire, and they let it burn for, like, six hours. And, oh, my gosh, like, it it didn't work. They thought she'd just turn to ash and disappear, and that's not what happened. (sighs) Yeah. 
And so it's getting dark and they're like, okay, we're going to have to like pause this for tonight and come back to this tomorrow. Pause it? Yes. Yeah. And so they take her charred remains and they disguise them under some brush on the farm and they leave for the night. Mm -hmm. And they talk on the phone that night or somehow and come up with a plan B. And plan B is that they have to dismember her and and ditch different parts of her body in different locations so that she can't be identified. Dear God. Yeah. And Corey, stand-up guy that he is, yeah. is like, I can't do that. It's not right. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. It's not right. This is what he tells the detective. And the detective's like, okay, what? Like this whole thing, this is, that's where you draw the line? Yeah, really. That's not right? And he's like, well, obviously the whole thing's not right, but like that part really, really isn't right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so they call another friend, this other guy they know who they think is like creepy and apparently had been known to like abuse animals and stuff. And they're like, hey, Want to see something cool? And they get him to come out to Sarah's grandmother's property, and they ask him to bring a hacksaw, and he comes. And he's like, they're like, hey, so here's what happened. Oh, my God. Yeah, we killed this girl, and now we need to get rid of her, but we thought maybe you would want we know you're kind of into gory stuff. Would you be interested in possibly oh dismembering this body for us? And this guy's like 15. His name's Nathan. Okay. Again, I've only read his name. It's either God, Godette or Godday. Okay. Anyway, he's like, yeah, cool. What? And so he does it. He's like, okay, here's the deal. This is what we got to do. We got to take off her hands and her head, and we got to dump those separate from the rest of her body so that she can't be identified. And then we'll cut her torso in half, and we'll remove her legs. Oh, yeah. He's got a whole game plan. So he goes to work. He does it. And they ditch part of her body in a Uh. ravine, and then they are like, okay, they take her head and her hands, which they deem to be the only identifying features of her, and they put those in trash bags, and they put those in the back of Sarah's car. But by this time, gosh, they've been, like, working on disposing of this body for so long. They're just, like, super tired and really need to smoke some weed and, like, eat some food. And so with her head and hands in the trunk of the car, they smoke weed and go to McDonald's. Do you think the weed is what made them do all this? Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no! Oh, my God. So then... Why do you do this to us? Okay, just don't blame me. Blame Gail Weathers. <laughs> Damn it, Gail. So now they've got the rest of her remains to deal with, and so they go to Black Hawk Park. Careful. Not to be confused with Black Hawk Park. Mm-hmm. And they're going to go back into like a very heavily wooded area of the park and they're going to bury those remains only they super luck out because when they go back there they find a manhole cover and so they just lift that up and dump the bags down the manhole and then they're like that's it we're all set 
all cleaned up. Done. And they all go their separate ways and think they're good. But then Corey had to have a conscience and come clean to his parents and the police. And so he didn't super come. No, obviously. Yes. And so Corey tells the police all of this. And of course, like I said, Mm -hmm. he downplayed his involvement and he was just staring out the window smoking a cigarette when Adrian was killed. And then obviously don't be unfair to him. You wouldn't believe the number of homicides I've been a part of where I'm just looking out the the window window when it happens. Yeah. That's why I've stopped wearing belts. Yeah. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) Well, this kid's stupid. I agree. And this is horrifying that they're like, hmm, we need someone to help us dismember a body. Yeah. Oh, I know. Let's call that weird kid. And then the weird kid's like, yep, you read me correctly. correct. Fuck. Yeah. So then... The police are like, okay, take us to her remains. And Corey did. He took them to the farm where they there was like a ravine off to the side and there were her parts of her body. And then he took them to the park and they went down in that manhole and there were the trash bags. And so then the police had to go and tell Adrian's parents that they'd found her in the state that she'd been found in. And they were just horrified by yeah, it, of course. Yeah, that is horrible. So tell me the part where Sarah goes to prison forever. (laughs) So they then go and arrest Sarah and they're like, "Okay, we know all of this stuff. Surely she's going to sit down and come clean and tell us her version. But she doesn't. They arrest her. She doesn't say anything. She's stone cold. She is. She sure is. On February 1st, 2005, Sarah Kolb and Corey Gregory were both charged with first degree murder and concealment of a homicide and they both pled not guilty okay yep sarah's trial began on october 31st 2005 the trial would take a couple of weeks the prosecution called wow i said prosecution really weird sounded like Almost prostitution, but not quite. (laughs) The prosecution called almost 50 witnesses. I was going to say, two weeks for a trial like this? That's pretty long. So they called almost 50 witnesses, all kinds of people who had gone to school, a bunch of people who had been at house parties, who had seen Sarah be aggressive or threaten Adrian, all kinds of stuff. Oh, hell yeah. They called that guy who had walked through the Taco Bell parking lot and had seen the car and decided... Not to intervene because he thought there were just people having sex in there. I mean, I would have done the exact same thing. Yeah. No way I would have gotten involved in that situation. Hell no. 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 They also used Sarah's journal against her at trial. She had several entries, including one the day before Adrian was murdered, where Sarah said that she would fucking kill Adrian. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily like, I think, yeah. I think girls, you know, write all kinds of stuff in their journals. I don't think so, Brandy. Yeah. You wrote that your mom was a bitch. I stand by it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just think that I don't think that's great evidence because it's like you don't know the context of that. You don't know how like how dramatic she was being. Like, does she literally mean she's going to go kill her? I mean, obviously, obviously she she did. did, But but, I mean, I think you take any 
a high school girl's journal, it's going to yeah. say, I'm going to fucking kill yeah. so-and-so. Yeah, I agree. They called and that's why all high school girls are murderers. Murderers, exactly. They also called Nathan Gaudet, well, for sure, how well last said. Name said. He had gotten a deal at this point. So he's the one who actually did the dismembering. Oh, the future serial killer mm-hmm. got a deal? Okay. He sure did. So he, oh, no. What did he get? So he pled guilty to dismembering a corpse or abuse of a corpse or right. something like that in exchange for being sentenced as a juvenile. Okay. Which means he was sentenced to five years in prison. Yeah. And he also had to testify for well, the sure. prosecution. Um, yeah, he served like four years of his sentence before he was released. Mm-hmm. Oh my god This seems like a weird thing to say now But I'm gonna say it He died in a car accident in 2012 So There's that I mean I don't think we need to elaborate on that Yeah Honestly I'm glad you said that Because I was like who's he gonna murder now Right mm-hmm. Yeah so he died in a car accident in 2012 So there's that um, Yeah don't feel great about that deal But Anyway, Mm -hmm. so he testified for the prosecution and he gave what is believed to be the most, the story closest to the truth because it's the story that he was given by Mm -hmm. Corey and Sarah and that, yeah, Corey held Adrian's. He didn't really have a dog in that fight in the sense of like. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. So, yeah, he's the one who tells the version where Corey holds Adrian's arms down so that she can't fight Sarah while Sarah strangles her. Yeah. And then he just very casually described how he dismembered Adrian and how he came up with how they should dump her. And when asked what his reason was for helping with that, he said, oh, I was just trying to help out some friends. I didn't want to see my friends go to prison. Okay. Just a real good friend. Super good friend. Just like the best friend. Mm-hmm. Anyway... So he was kind of the star witness for the prosecution. One person who did not testify for the prosecution was Corey Gregory, which they kind of expected well, yeah, to happen. But trying to plead not guilty. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. so then it was the defense's turn, and they put only one witness on the stand. Sarah Kolb. Oh, bad move. Mm-hmm. Bad move. All right, let's hear yeah. it. So she took the stand in her own defense and was extremely cold and showed no emotion. And she got up there and said that she was an innocent bystander and Corey did the whole thing. Okay. And that, you know, yeah, she did start the initial argument, but that was it. She pulled Adrian's hair. That's all. And then before she knew it, Corey was back there in the back seat and he reached up and he pulled his belt around Adrian's Mm -hmm. throat and strangled her and she didn't even know what was going on. And then she had no choice. She had to help him cover it up because if she didn't, he was going to kill her and her family and her cat. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's it. What could she do? Mm-hmm. And, obviously, she couldn't have killed Adrian. Why? Because her hands are too weak. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? That's legitimately what she said. She has hand issues and lacks the strength to strangle anyone. 
Well, she used a belt. Mm-hmm. No, we can't, Kristen. Corey used the belt. What's wrong with her fucking hand? We can't. <laughs> she has hand issues. <laughs> I mean, I've heard about a guy with a slow hand, but... <laughs> and um, the prosecution on cross-examination, like, just asked her a few basic questions, and she got really angry. And mm. one particular question the prosecution asked was like, why would you just go along with Corey while he's forcing you to do all of this? Like, you know, if he's your best friend or whatever, why would you be scared of him? And she goes, oh, I'm sorry. Has anyone ever threatened your life before? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like they maybe just did. I don't know. Right? Whoa. <laughs> and so the judge, like, admonished her and was like, stop, answer- stop answering questions with questions. Yeah. Yeah. She got, like, yelled at by the judge for, yeah. Oh, God. And following her testimony, the defense rested and the case went to the jury. The jury deliberated for 15 hours. During that time, they asked the judge a couple of questions. They asked the judge the legal definition of intent. Mm -hmm. And they asked the judge what presumption of innocence means. And he gave them those definitions. And then after 15 hours of deliberation, the jury told the judge they were deadlocked. What? And he declared a mistrial. Shut up. Mm-hmm. The jury was split oh. 11 to 1 in favor of conviction. What? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, who's the weirdo? I know. So at the time that the, the mistrial was declared, the state was like, okay, we're going to just do this whole thing again, but we'd like a change of venue. Yeah. And so they were granted a change of venue. And on the 9th of February, 2006, Sarah Kolb went back on trial, this time in the cider capital of Illinois, Dixon. (gasps) Oh, yes. So in the dilapidated courthouse because that treasure had stolen all their money. All the money. (laughs) So the prosecution puts up exactly the same case. They changed nothing. But this time, the defense made another bold move. Sarah Kolb did not take the stand at her second trial. Apparently, they thought her cold nature may have Hmm. had an impact on the jury. So what they chose to do instead was put up no defense. None at all. Wow. Yeah. They rested immediately, banking on the hope that the jury would find that the prosecution had not met their burden. Okay. Uh, Pretty bold move. Yeah. Yeah. On February 22nd, the jury found Sarah Kolb guilty on all counts. She was given 48 years for the murder conviction and then five years for the concealing a homicide and those were ordered to run consecutively so she got a total of 53 years following that Corey gregory decided not to take his chance with a Mm -hmm. jury and he changed his plea to guilty and he was sentenced to 45 years in prison since then both 
Corey and Sarah have appealed their sentences. Corey actually Corey can't. Corey right? actually tried to get his guilty plea like removed. He tried to get it rescinded and then get to go to trial instead. And the judge was like, that's "What is this? Buyer's remorse? No, that's yeah, not how that's this not works. How it works." And so then, in 2012, we've talked about this before. There was that Supreme Court ruling where imposing a mandatory sentence of life without the possibility oh. of parole on a juvenile offender is yep. considered unconstitutional. And so basically that that applies to anything anyone who's given a sentence over 40 years so mm-hmm. both Sarah and Corey fall under this ruling and so they both have appealed their sentences based on that but to this point their appeals have been denied a judge at one point ruled that Sarah should be resentenced and then an appeals court overturned that and so that as far as I could find, to date, they both remain in prison. Wow. Mm-hmm. Ew, that was so chilling. I know. That's the story of the murder of Adrian Reynolds, and it was terrible. Why do you do this? You tell so many creepy teenager <laughs> stories. I know. The creepy teenager ones really get me. And they do every time. Oh. It's probably all that music they were listening to. No, that's where you're wrong. It's the marijuana. It's the marijuana that did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Gail Weathers. <laughs> Don't you dare blame Gail <laughs> with her very real name. I know. I, those just those those teen murderer ones just really creep me out. But creep you out is not quite the phrase because no, they draw I, you in every do. time mm. they intrigue you greatly they do did you ever want to kill me when we were kids no i think that's what is so intriguing about it to me it's like I, in high school i was like fucking listening to in sync and spinning you know <laughs> every weekend with your dumb ass <laughs> <laughs> we were listening to the juggalos oh wait no you don't listen to juggalos anyway no, you don't listen to juggalos. no it's just such like such the yeah. opposite end of the spectrum for what our high school experience was I couldn't have even told you where to find drugs when I was 12 years old. No. I can't even really tell you now. find drugs <laughs> now? I mean, I've got ibuprofen in space. That's right. Okay. Yes. Do they sell it at Costco? Because then I can get it. I got it. I got your hookup on all the drugs at Costco. I got that membership card. Okay. Yeah. It's just... Yeah, it, I think that's it. It's just so different from, yeah, my high school experience. <laughs> like when you wore your dare bracelet <laughs> everywhere. And that police officer called me a loser. <laughs> Wait, no, he didn't. He didn't really oh, okay. call me a loser, okay. but I saw it in his eyes. <laughs> He was disappointed. He'd never been more disappointed. He thought he was catching me coming back from the club. Yep. And instead, it, it was the Walgreens. Yeah. <laughs> He'd never been so disappointed.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right. You ready? Yes. Okay. Shout out to the documentary Clinton 12, as well as reporting from blackpast.org, the Tennessee Encyclopedia, and a bunch of other sources as well. Oh, yes. Also, okay, this is my little disclaimer. There is court stuff sprinkled throughout uh-huh. this thing. I decided not to go super in-depth into every court case because we don't have all goddamn day. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. You like a more tilt on your... I like mine more straight up. Okay. People don't know what we're talking about right now. (laughs) Kristen just pushed her laptop so open that it's practically flat now. I like to kind of sit up high. <laughs> like you're standing over a podium? Yeah, exactly. Is that exactly. the deal right now? Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, I do like a more, I have mine more like a 90 degree yeah. sitch. This is fascinating. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, is it okay if I tell you yes, my story? Please, yeah. please tell me about the... Clinton 12. Clinton 12. Brandy. 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 You know, the thing about you is... You're so basic. It's true. You go to Starbucks in the fall and you get a pumpkin spice latte. PSL. Not me. I always order the cool lime refresher. No, you... you What? You go to a Blink-182 concert and you're like, play What's My Age Again? Mm-mm. Not me. No. I always request their 2017 hit, Can't Get You More Pregnant. That's not a song for <laughs> Blink-182. <laughs> And I bet when people sit around talking about famous school desegregations from the civil rights era, as they often do, uh-huh. you're like, oh, Little Rock Nine. Yeah. Not me. I'm like, oh, Clinton 12. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's that? You've never heard of the Clinton 12? Well, as of two days ago, neither had I. <laughs> but now I'm obsessed with this story. Excellent. This is their story. Dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for real. Have you ever heard of the No. Exactly. Neither had I. This is no. nuts. Hold on to your hat Hold and on to your my pants nuts. and your nuts. Yeah. Get the whole gang nuts. together there. <laughs> With your new manhood mashers. <sighs> Wait, is that from the bonus from episode? The bonus episode. <laughs> People don't know what that is. Well, if you want to know, sign up for our Patreon oh, at the $5 done. level or higher. Picture it. Clinton, Tennessee. Clinton is a small town located about a half hour's drive from Knoxville. 
And in the 1950s, it had a population of about 4,000 people. So it was a pretty big city, Brandy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a pleasant little town. A sign at the edge of town read, Welcome to Clinton. Don't hurry through town. Give us a chance to be friendly. It's mm, a weird sign. <laughs> okay. Okay, here's the thing. I couldn't tell if that was actually creepy or if I was just creeped out because you know something bad is about to happen. Yeah, I But that's, that's for real kind of creepy. Yeah. All right. Hopefully they've taken that down. Hey, hey, don't blow through here, lady. Let me, give me a chance to be friendly with you. (laughs) Yeah. Of the 4,000 people who made up the population of Clinton, about 10% were black. The town was very segregated. Okay, and this is, this is kind of a trip, but according to the black and white people who were interviewed in this documentary, they said that before 1956, race relations in Clinton were pretty good now are you ready to hear what passed the for white pretty people good? said that and the black people okay oh see i expect the white people. yeah to i'm say like it. of course the white people think that are you ready to hear what passes for pretty good in the 1950s no black people couldn't eat near white people yeah. in restaurants or sit in the good seats at the movie theater or buy a candy bar from the drugstore and eat it in the drugstore What's the logic in that? I don't know. Okay. Because then a black person might be eating with a white person. Well, you can't have that. Absolutely (laughs) not. Wow. This is what good race relations? Yeah, this is great. Shut up. We love it. But you know, the people of Clinton say it wasn't super terrible. It was just like the gentle racism that wears you down slowly over time, like death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah kills your soul. So things in Clinton were okay. But in the 1950s, thanks largely to work from the NAACP, you know, there was this big push for equal education. We've talked about this on the podcast before, and I won't again, so that's the end of the story. (laughs) (laughs) The law of the land at the time was separate but equal. So if by chance you've created a drinking game out of these school segregation cases... Please take a sip because I just mentioned Plessy versus Ferguson. Mm-hmm. 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 So the black students in Clinton attended the Green McAdoo School in town. And hold on to your hat. This will shock you. That school was, in fact, separate but not equal to the white wasn't. kids. No, this is very shocking to everyone. The Green McAdoo School didn't have a cafeteria. It didn't have a gym. It didn't even have indoor restrooms. Okay. In the 1950s. Yeah. Meanwhile, the white kids not only had indoor restrooms, they had bidets in every stool. They did not. <laughs> okay, that was an exaggeration. But you get the idea. You get the idea, yes. The Green McAdoo School also didn't have middle or high school classes. Once you graduated eighth grade, if you wanted to go to middle and high school, you had to be bused to Knoxville. And frankly, that was a pain in the ass. Yeah. It was an 18-mile drive, and it wasn't a straight shot. They had to transfer buses a bunch. And, of course, the kids had to go through intense security measures before they got onto the bus because that's just what happens when we got on a bus. You know, we all know this. Right, Brandy? Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) So the kids got bused all the way to Knoxville. And once they got there, the school wasn't even free. Black families had to pay tuition to send their kids to schools in Knoxville. I know, this is crazy! 
So Alva McSwain is a black woman who grew up in Clinton, and she came from a big family, and her youngest siblings were triplets. And her mom realized, oh, my God, I'm going to have to pay for five kids to go to Knoxville all at one time. We can't afford that. And on top of that, Clinton High School, which was a good public school, was literally 1,500 feet from where most of the black people lived in Clinton. Mm -hmm. So this case started like all school integration cases do. In August of 1950, four black students attempted to enroll at Clinton High School. And they were rejected. Because everyone knows that if white people are educated in the same room as black people, everyone gets a prolapsed butthole. (laughs) And that's true regardless of your race. It just happens. It just happens Mm -hmm. immediately. So since the white folks in town were being douchebags, the black folks had no choice but to look themselves in the mirror and say, Let's go to court! So a group of parents... Could they not have looked at each other? Did they have to look in the mirror? You have to look in the mirror, you (laughs) dumbass! They had to go to a mirror store because you need a really big mirror for, like, everyone to get together because it's like a class action lawsuit, you know? You know how it is. I guess maybe a public restroom. They could have gone to a public restroom. But they went to a mirror store and said, and I'm not making any of this up. Right. Got it. So a group of parents teamed up... There's a mirror store in every corner. (laughs) I'm sorry, where do you buy your mirrors? So a group of parents teamed up with the NAACP and sued the Board of Education of Anderson County, Tennessee. The argument of the lawsuit was simple. It started with a burp. They all burped at the same time. Wonderful. That wasn't just me being gross. Mm -mm. We have a high school right here. Black students in this community should be able to attend that school. We live here. We pay taxes here. We're citizens of this county. And what we are currently being offered is not equal to what is being offered to white students. All right. Fair enough. What? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) You look like you're full of dread. It's funny. The face I make when you're telling me a story about teenagers murdering each other Mm -hmm. is the same face you make when I tell these racist cases. Yeah, I hate that. (laughs) Um, Are you ready? Racism makes me very uncomfortable. Are you ready for the argument against black kids attending Clinton High School? Oh. oh, it's great. The attorneys for the school board argued that the black high school in Knoxville was actually better than Clinton High School. Okay, did they... What? It had better facilities, a broader curriculum. So the black kids were actually getting a really great deal when you thought about it really hard. So maybe everyone should just shut up and go home. Am I right? No! Judge Robert Taylor presided over the case, and he was a guy with a little bald head and little wireframe glasses and a weak jawline and a nasally voice, and rumor has it that he was ugly and boring. (laughs) Anyway. And he was like, why, yes, the facilities in Knoxville are simply better, so just keep doing what you're doing and quit your bitching. Absolutely. Wonderful. Yep. In the spring of 1952, he sided with the school board. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. But the black folks of Clinton who'd signed on for this lawsuit were in it for the long haul. They wanted what was right. So a month later, they appealed Judge Taylor's decision to the Court of Appeals in Cincinnati. And the Court of Appeals was like, oh, 
Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. Hey, we'd love to rule on this. Really, we would. But it looks like the Supreme Court is going to rule on this little case called Brown versus the Board of Education. So we're just going to chill until the Supreme Court makes their decision on that one. Oh, what's that? This is a process that will literally take years. And in the meantime, there are real life children who need an education. Oh, who cares? Who cares? Am I right? Wonderful. Brandy, you're going to have to pick up that attitude, okay? (laughs) (laughs) No. I just thought that kids go to school. This case gets so much worse. Oh, good. You think this sucks? Wait for it. (laughs) Wait. So, two years later, in 1954, the Supreme Court ruled on Brown versus the Board of Education. And in that decision, they said that separate but equal was a heap and help and a shit. That's a quote from the court record, Mm -hmm. obviously. And a year later, on May 31st, 1955, the appellate court, moving at roughly the same pace as Brandy eating a serving of popcorn salad, was like, hey, Clinton High School... You need to integrate, like, you know, like soon. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) One source said that during this time, some local white officials tried to delay integration by making updates to the local black school. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they threw on some paint. They're like, are we equal now? Look how much better it is now. Don't you want to go here? Look, we... Cut holes in the floor for the bathroom. Oh, God. But finally, in January of 1956, Judge Robert Taylor officially was like, hey, hey, I know we're all very afraid of prolapsed buttholes, but the Supreme Court has ruled on this, and Clinton High School, you gotta integrate. There is footage of Judge Taylor making this announcement, and he looks just about as devastated as you looked when you realized that Lance Bass was gay. I mean, the <laughs> poor guy was just heartbroken. Yeah, because until he came out as gay, I mm. had a chance with him. <laughs> That's right. You were like, it'll happen. One day we will meet. Our eyes will lock. Ka-ching. What if Lance Bass is a fan of this podcast? That I'm would just, be amazing. It would be amazing. Lance, please reach out. <laughs> Do you think he will have a sense of humor Yes. about the joke I made? Yes. I think he would love it. See, this is how I kn- you You're still obsessed with him. I you're love like, him. You're like, yeah, my good friend Lance Bass, yes. he would definitely have a sense of humor. I know him very he has well. a very good sense of humor. I follow him on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> you do? Yes. He does great TikToks. Very funny. He's got some beautiful... He's doing like a silvery thing with his hair these days. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Very handsome, as always. You know, if you really wanted to catch his attention, you should cover that documentary he did on Lou Perlman. I really should. Yeah, that's a dark documentary. It is. Aaron Carter in that thing. That's... Oh, gosh. <sighs> just want to give that dude a hug. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm bumming you out. Yeah, great. I was really excited about Lance, and now you had to talk about Lou Pearlman. I'm sorry. Touching, never mind. (laughs) Is this tearing up your heart? It is. It's tearing up my heart when When I'm I'm with you, you. and when we are apart, I feel it too. It sounds like you're trying to auto-tune yourself. Feel the pain with or without you, Lance Bass. 
So I don't think I need to tell you that the summer of 1956 was a very somber one for the white folks in Clinton. That summer, school administrators and teachers and white parents held several meetings to prepare for the chaos that would ensue when 12 black kids came to Clinton High School. (sighs) Yeah, how terrible that's going to be. It'd be 12 black kids coming into a school of 800 white kids, and gee, life sure would be terrible for the white kids. Yeah, that sure is terrible for the white kids. No, how fucking scary that is for the black kids. Exactly. Exactly. It's terrifying. Yes! (sighs) Speaking of the black kids, they were dealing with really complicated emotions. Yeah, it was a pain to be bused to Knoxville for school, and it wasn't fair... But they had friends they were leaving behind. They had a community. The oldest student, Bobby Kane, was headed into his senior year of high school. He said he didn't really, like, foresee anything bad happening to him at Clinton. But he was sad to leave his friends, and he knew that being a black kid at Clinton meant that he wouldn't be able to go to prom. Really? Well, yeah. That's really sad. Yeah. He knew he wouldn't be treated like just another student. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So a few of the... I thought this was so interesting. A few of the students who were interviewed for this documentary just flat out did not want to go to Clinton High School. Yeah, I don't blame them. It was scary and unfamiliar, and it seemed like at the very least they would not be welcome. Well, that's what I was going to say. Not Like... The idea of going somewhere where you know you are not wanted. First of all, switching high schools at yes. any time would be terrible. Yes. But yeah, you don't want to go where you're not wanted. Yeah. And horribly outnumbered. Yeah. But as teenagers, they didn't have a lot of say in the matter. This was an opportunity and a burden that they were taking on for future generations of black students. But they were just kids. Yeah. Okay, here's what makes me sad. I wish that we could also hear the thoughts of their parents. Yeah. Because this had to be agony for the parents. Yeah. Yeah, you I know, absolutely saying to think their so. kids, no, you need to go do this. Yeah. And probably like talking to the other black parents in town and be like, okay, if my kid goes, your kid needs to go. Like, you know, so there's more safety in numbers. Right. Hmm. Ugh. So they didn't know what lie ahead of them. And meanwhile, DJ Britton, who was the principal of Clinton High School, did some media interviews at the time. And he acknowledged that, you know, a lot of people were pissed about this law. But he said, hey, we teach good citizenship at our school. And good citizenship means following the law. This is the law. So we're going to follow it. So it seems that that pretty much summed up the sentiment of a lot of the white people in town. Not rolling out the welcome wagon. Wait, do you roll out a wagon? Yeah, yeah you should. Sure. Anyway, say, yeah. Rolling out the welcome wagon, yeah. That was not rolled. But it was kind or of. Or the r- red carpet. That's You know what? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, what maybe, about, maybe they rolled out the red wagon. Which was filled with carpets. <laughs> So, you know, they weren't being, like, super nice at all. (laughs) This is stupid. (laughs) 
weren't like they were all like being awful. Okay. Yet. Oh, good. So the summer passed, and on Monday, August twentieth, nineteen fifty-six, it was time for the students to register for classes. Would you stop giving me that evil look? <laughs> like if you give me an evil enough look, I'll just shut up forever. <laughs> like, and then the good news fairy came down from the sky <laughs> and said, "Racism doesn't exist anymore." And everybody lived happily ever after. See, I don't get you at all. You're like, and then they charred her body and <laughs> chopped up her hands. <laughs> so far, no one's been set on fire in this story. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so on that day, the Clinton 12 showed up and the white people stared at them and watched as they walked up to the school and registered for classes and left. And that is the end of that story. All things considered, things went great that day. Nothing happened. That's not to say that there weren't horribly racist people in town, but it really seemed like, you know, it's going to be fine. Yeah. The super racists would pout a little and maybe draw themselves a bubble bath and eat a pint of ice cream and cry about the way the world was changing, but it really seemed like that'd be about it. I don't think that is about it. You wouldn't be telling us this story. Wouldn't that be hilarious? Yeah. If this story ended with, like, uptight white people just being like, well, okay. I guess it's happening. <laughs> the end. That'd be great. But, but handling it like a going. breakup, though. That's what I really like. Yeah. 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 The bubble bath, uh-huh. the ice cream. Yeah. Probably watching a lot of TV. Oh, yeah. Okay. But we've we've covered all the hits yeah. of a breakup. Yeah. Crying a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Are we getting sad now? Picturing past breakups. <laughs> Singing Everybody Hurts. (laughs) (laughs) So classes were scheduled to start on Monday, August 27th. And again, everything seemed like it was going to be fine. But the Saturday before school started, a guy named John Casper came to town. And although he was pale and had a boyish face... And his last name was Casper? Yeah, right? Isn't that quite the last name for a leader in the KKK? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was his real last name, or do you think he was like, this will be fun? It can't get wider than this! <laughs> <laughs> Only thing wider than this would be... What's his first name? Cottage Cheese. <laughs> oh, what's his first name? John. Change his name to John White! That would have been a better joke if I remembered that his name was John. <laughs> I think Casper's scarier than White. Because it's a ghost. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, you snorted. <laughs> oh, no, I snorted. Oh, no. This is terrible. <laughs> this is a real snort fest in here today. <laughs> So, John Casper showed up in Franklin. In Franklin. Clinton. 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 (laughs) Showed up in this guy named Franklin. (laughs) He was only racist, not homophobic. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry. So he showed up in Clinton and announced that he had come from Washington. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I don't know why you're having trouble keeping up. He was inside a dude named Franklin. <laughs> in Clinton, in Clinton. In the city. <laughs> And he was an unfriendly ghost. What's hard about all this? Huh? This is just a classic tale. <laughs> so, you know, like, he and Franklin finished up. And then, <laughs> and then he was like, okay, here I am. Here I am. And Clinton, ready to be racist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he started. He brought the racism. <laughs> oh, okay. So he had come from Washington, D.C., and his mission was to keep the black kids from going to Clinton High School. And this dude, I'm sorry, he looks like he weighs like 150 pounds soaking wet. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's a badass motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so John was a member of the KKK and a graduate of Columbia University. And he owned a bookstore in Washington, D.C., and he'd started his own printing press, which he used to print right-wing propaganda. Yeah. And he... saw that coming. (laughs) (laughs) No, he just, like, romance novels. (laughs) Totally normal romance novels. (laughs) Um, He had shown up in Clinton to save the white people. Oh, okay. And to fuck Franklin. (laughs) (laughs) You see, Brandy... (laughs) <laughs> the funny thing is Franklin wasn't even looking for love that day it just <laughs> happened <laughs> but that's what happens it's like you work on yourself and then all of a sudden you're ready when <laughs> when some dude shows up from Washington D.C. <laughs> oh my god Here's the thing that John Casper knew that a lot of other people didn't know. Racial integration was really a Jewish plot. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. (laughs) Great. Yep. You know what this story didn't have enough of already? (laughs) (laughs) Anti-Semitism. Hadn't touched on it yet, but don't worry, we're going to get to everything. (laughs) So when he arrived in Clinton, he went door to door, I mean, obviously skipping the black part of town, and he carried with him a photo of a black soldier kissing a white woman. Oh! There there we go. Okay, that's the appropriate response. (laughs) So this was meant to terrify the white people. This is what can happen when schools integrate. White ladies notice for the very first time that black dudes are hot. And then the smooching begins. Wow. Mm -hmm. Pretty scary stuff, huh? Then he invited everyone to join the White Citizens Council of Anderson County, Tennessee, which he had just created five seconds earlier. Okay. Fun fact, he was still inside Franklin when When he he created created it. (laughs) Will I let this go? No. Who knows? (laughs) So he comes, he makes this pitch. I didn't mean to do it that time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so he made this pitch to all the white people. And like 
five people were like, sure, I'll join your club. Wow. And that Monday morning, the first day of school, you know, like five, some sources say ten white folks showed up to protest the integration of Clinton High School. They held really powerful signs that said stuff like, integration, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's for real. Like at the last second. (laughs) You know, I was like, you know, they're showing all, they have a lot of footage from this time because this is not that long ago. Yeah. And I was like, oh boy, protest signs, here we go. And this dude's sign said, integration, question mark, no. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's snappy, it gets right to the point. (laughs) Integration, I'll pass, thank you. (laughs) The protest lasted about 15 minutes. Because the thing about being part of a five-person protest is that it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. But a ton of national news outlets were there to cover the school's integration. This was historic. It was the first court-mandated desegregation of a public school in the South. Wow. That evening, the news programs and the papers carried coverage of the protest. And that was like a dog whistle to douchebags everywhere because racist douchebags came a-coming to Clinton to join this huge protest. They came a-coming? They came a-coming. <laughs> you know what? I saw that in the script. I was like, that really doesn't make sense. <laughs> Did I reword it? No. 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 This train's headed your way, Brandy. <laughs> Can't hit the brakes now. <laughs> so Tuesday morning, there were 50 protesters outside the school. And reporters from national and international media outlets covered that protest. And by Thursday, there were like 500 protesters. And they were fucking vile for safety the clinton 12 would walk to school together and they were terrified and the protesters of course yelled horrible things at them and spat on them but the kids were honestly afraid that they would be murdered trying to go to school yeah they tried not to show their fear because they thought you know that would maybe make it worse but they were terrified Once the Clinton 12 made it into the building, they were away from the protesters, you know, but then they were surrounded by all these teachers and administrators and students who weren't that much better. Yeah. The Clinton 12 would be in class trying to concentrate and students would pelt them with spitballs and call them racist names. And the teachers didn't exactly shut that down. Great. So part of this horrible treatment could honestly be because the protesters were also terrible to the white kids. Anyone who attended or worked for an integrated school was the enemy. Oh. I know. Plot twist, right? I wasn't expecting that. But but yeah, they were like, basically, rather than attend an integrated school, you should just stop going to school. Yeah. Okay. Like I did. Yeah. So, although the black kids obviously had it a thousand times worse, the white kids were getting spat on, too, and being called, you know, N-word lovers, and, you know, it was just a great time for everybody. The KKK held rallies every night, and John Casper riled up the crowd with his racist speeches and encouraged them to be violent, and, you know. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. And he was an effective speaker. 
people threatened the school principal. They said they'd bomb his house. He had to change his phone number four times. And eventually, he and his wife stopped sleeping at their house. Wow. For fear that they would be murdered by the Klan. Holy shit. Yeah. The KKK began burning crosses in the lawns of Clinton High School teachers. At one point, the police had to drive the kids to and from school. Robert Thacker, who was one of the Clinton 12, said he was on edge all the time because you never knew what these white people were going to do. They were filled with hate and they had time to kill. One evening, the KKK began slowly driving through the black neighborhood. But here's the cool thing. The black people of Clinton did not back down. That night, Joanne Crozier, Allen Boyce's father, was taken to jail because he'd stood out in his front yard with a gun as the Klan drove through. Wow. Badass. Yeah. It got to the point that if the black folks in town didn't have a gun, they got one. Because it was too fucking scary to live without one. It wasn't a matter of if someone was going to die. It was when. They knew that they were grossly outnumbered and that if things did escalate, they'd lose. But they weren't going to go quietly. Mm -hmm. Then one day, there was a loud bang in the neighborhood. The KKK had set off dynamite. Oh, my gosh. Luckily, no one was hurt. But a lot of black families had the windows blown out of their homes and, you know, got the message loud and clear. Yeah. So for safety's sake... Some of the black women and children began sleeping in the Mount Zion Baptist Church basement. And the men would stay in the neighborhood with their guns, and they'd stay up all night to protect their property. Meanwhile, these protests kept growing, and a man named Asa Carter decided that he needed to join in the fun. So he was a famous segregationist speechwriter. Great! Fun fact, he actually co-wrote George Wallace's famous pro-segregation speech in which he said, Segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. You know, that's like quoted in everything. Yes. It's not really even that great a line. It's not. No, I can say that. Cool whip now, cool whip tomorrow, cool whip forever. There. Very powerful words. Yes, I'm going to go buy a cool whip now. Forever. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, he sucked. Uh, He was a hateful little shit. So, naturally, he cut little eye holes in his pillowcase and wrapped himself up in a little robe and called himself the Wizard Belgrande, which paired quite nicely with that other dude, John Casper, who called himself the Cheesy Grand Dragon Crunch. Mm -hmm. Some sources like to make it seem as though the people of Clinton were just like totally chill and down to integrate, but a bunch of outsiders came in and stirred up all this trouble. Okay, which I can see why they want to spin that story. The reality is that there was a mix of outsiders and locals who made it their mission to terrorize the black people of Clinton. So the White Citizens Council held their nightly rallies and Asa and John gave their speeches and inevitably they talked shit on the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court did not set the law of the land, Brandy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) What? Uh, 
except that they do. No, no, <laughs> you got your facts wrong. You don't read enough of uh, John's right wing propaganda <laughs> yeah. from his little basement printing press. So these protests had been going on for a few days, growing in number, and the situation was just getting more and more volatile. Then, came, are you okay? It's oh gosh, I, I don't know if I should say this, so we can cut it. Yeah. But, I'm just seeing so many parallels to, like, anti-masking, anti-vaccine stuff that's happening right now. Yes. They don't have the right to tell us that a school has to integrate. They don't have the right to tell us that my kid has to wear a mask in school. (laughs) (laughs) The funny thing is that the anti-maskers think of themselves like the Clinton 12. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when in reality, that's not yep. who they are in this story. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might have to cut yeah. that. <laughs> so then came Memorial Day weekend, and a metric shit ton of people showed up in mm-hmm. Clinton. The police force of Clinton tried to maintain order, but this was a town of like 4,000 people, and there were like six dudes on the police force. So out of desperation, the mayor called for any able-bodied man to pitch in and help restore peace and order to Clinton. Wow. And like 40 dudes showed up, and these guys made up this thing called the Home Guard. And... I mean, this was a ragtag bunch. It was just a bunch of guys from Clinton with guns they brought from home. Yeah. So that sounds terrifying. (laughs) Sure does. So, you know, they've got the home guard. And in the meantime, the city got a court order forbidding anyone from interfering with the integration of Clinton High School. And that was a great thing because that meant that they had every right to arrest John Casper, the cheesy Bel Grande of the KKK. Mm -hmm. So they arrested him. But fucking John Casper was, like, pleased as punch to be arrested for protesting integration. And there's a stupid photo of him holding up his little handcuffed hands and smirking for the camera like a douche. Yeah. But he wasn't smiling when Judge Taylor sentenced him to one year in jail for violating the court order. But because we can't have nice things, you should know that John Casper appealed the judge's decision and his stupid supporters all pitched in so that he could make bail. And that meant that he got to walk free with his appeal pending. Fast forward to Saturday night, September 1st, 1956. That's David's birthday. Oh, attention, everyone. That's David's birthday. Born in 1956. And... What? The date this episode will come out. Well, hot damn! Yes. Okay. okay! I like that one! I do like that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, 1956, that's the year you were born. Um, David, born in 1993. Excuse me for that error. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so the situation in Clinton is officially a double-decker shit show. 3,000 people were protesting integration in the courthouse square. The poor home guard, I mean, they tear-gassed the protesters. They tried to keep people moving, but it was no use. Things were out of control. Mm -hmm. Protesters smashed windows. They overturned cars. They threatened to blow up the mayor's house. But that's not smart because that guy can just call the The FBI. FBI, That's right. And the newspaper office and the courthouse. One of the members of the home guard was like, hey, I served in World War II. I saw a ton of scary shit. 
Nothing was scarier than that night in Clinton. At this point, the protests were all over the news. It was all anyone could talk about. And there was for sure going to be terrible bloodshed in Clinton. So the leadership in Clinton reached out to the governor and they were like, help us, please. We need reinforcements. And the governor agreed. The day before, he'd been at some little luncheon that he'd given a speech and he'd given a speech about how Tennessee should obey the law of the land. The Supreme Court had declared it, and so Tennessee needed to follow it. I know that doesn't sound groundbreaking, but, like, it kind of was. Yeah. Um, To say, yeah, we're we're not going to – we're not going to fight this. We're going – well, they were going to – you know what I mean. Yes. Anyway, moving on. Yes. So he sent in – It's a big damn deal. That's right. (laughs) Everybody just – do you get it? You get it? He was talking to, like – some, you know, dumb, you know, <laughs> sorry, now I realize I'm about to offend people for no reason. I don't need to say this, but Brandy, it was like a luncheon for dumb, stuffy Republicans. And so it wasn't exactly the crowd that wanted to hear this, but like he came in with a speech and he was like, here's a speech I was going to read. Then he set it down. Then he just spoke from the heart. And, you know, okay. by the end of that, all those, you know, people were like, you know what? Yeah. Okay. Send in, <laughs> send in the card. Aren't you glad I told you that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he sent in the National Guard and he called in the Tennessee State Patrol. And for the people of Clinton, it was an incredible sight. All of a sudden, all these police vehicles and tanks came rolling into town. That would be an incredible sight. Yes. Well, probably PTSD out the yin yang for those guys who yeah. had just served in the war. Well, yeah, I'm sure. 600 members of the Tennessee National Guard put the city of Clinton under martial law for the next two weeks. Wow. And uh, when those buff boys showed up with their guns and their numbers, John yeah. Casper John peed Casper, his robe yeah, and skedaddled. between his legs mm-hmm. and just, he was like, Franklin, come on! <laughs> <laughs> we gotta go! <laughs> but the thing is, like, Franklin had lived in Clinton all his life <laughs> and his dad had operated the drugstore for That's many right. years yeah. and so then it's like he's torn do I go with my love or do I stay here in the actually they've made a million Hallmark movies said, about this should I stay or should, should I, I go, go? <laughs> so you know John Casper he just skedaddles so few Hallmark movies in Hallmark <laughs> <laughs> They look like they would because it's all about <laughs> white people. <laughs> but the KKK, it's almost never mentioned. Yeah. Never mentioned. Yes. <laughs> you play a drinking game where you're watching Hallmark movies and, and you're waiting for the KKK reference. You're going to be stone cold sober. <laughs> I've done it many a time myself. Very lame night. <laughs> so this situation in Clinton was still scary as hell. Two members of the Clinton 12 had their homes hit with gunshots. The cross burnings continued. The harassment continued. What the fuck is up with cross burnings? Anyway. Yeah, I don't get that at all. I mean, it would be really scary. Well, of course it would. But, like, you don't have anything better to do? You bored racist douchebags? Yeah. There. We just talked 
two guys out of doing a cross burning. That's tonight. right. They were, we're going like, to do it. Oh my God. I didn't know it was yeah. bad. Yeah. Two guys who are super into cross burnings listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they're here because they're gathering intel on the feminist agenda, That's Brandy. Right. But they got indoctrinated mm-hmm. accidentally. Accidentally. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. That's like that guy who was investigating the fundamentalist Mormons and then oops accidentally all of a sudden had a second wife. Oh <gasps> no, are yes. you serious? <laughs> he like wait uh, yeah, I don't remember the story clearly enough, but yeah, I was like this guy who was like undercover in the in the FLDS uh-huh. and then like and it was him and his wife were undercover and then like it got so they got in too deep. Accidentally, all of a sudden, whoops! Now I have a second wife. Okay, this is kind of like that story I was telling you last week. It is the guy who did the documentary about heroin use. Yes. And he was like, "Man, people keep getting addicted to this. I don't get it." So he tried it, and then he became addicted to heroin. Yes. <sighs> so anyway, that's why the cross burning guys are listening to this podcast. <laughs> Started off, they didn't like it. Yeah, the laughter was too much for them. That's right. Mm-hmm. It grew now, on them. It grew on them. Thought I had too many dad jokes. Uh-huh. You were too joyous. Yeah. I, I've said that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll see you at the live show, boys. Okay, so, but two months later, you know, piss stained and still ugly and boring, Jack Casper, oh, I'm sorry, John Casper came back to Clinton. The accuracy is a incredible. He was like, Franklin, I can't stay away from you. I don't know how to quit you. <laughs> Wait, is that, the, is that the line? I can't quit you. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can't quit you. Yeah. Feel the same way about you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Just try to quit me, Brandy. I fucking dare you. So, you know, he's back in Clinton, and he was due in court for sedition and inciting to riot. Are you ready for some sweet, sweet justice? What was the first charge? Sedition. What's that mean? I was hoping you would not ask. (laughs) Okay. Hang on, I have a Google machine. (laughs) Conduct or speech inciting people to rebel against the authority of a state or monarch. Oh, fun fact. When you Google sedition, the first thing that pops up is pictures from the Capitol riot. I was going to say, that sounds very familiar. Like something that happened in January. Oh, not here, not in America. (laughs) Weird, have there been charges Mm. filed? Yeah. Hmm. Hey, speaking of that... (laughs) Are you ready for some justice? No, there's not going to be any justice. Exactly, and there never is. Yes. Okay, so his trial <laughs> began on November 5th, and it lasted about a week. And John Casper lectured the jury about his personal theories on race relations. I'm sure it was very enlightening mm-hmm. for everyone. And John Casper sure had a lot of friends because some key prosecution evidence went missing during the trial. And yada, 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 the jury deliberated for one whole hour. I just exhausted that hour, used up every minute of it, (laughs) and they found him not guilty. Of course they did. And the courtroom was packed with his supporters, and they all cheered. Wonderful. 
Yeah. Um, oh, and also it turns out the jury was packed with his supporters because four of those jurors were staunch pro-segregationalists. Uh-huh. People say that like it's like, oh, well, they obviously were all douchebag segregationists if yeah. they let this guy go anyway. Yeah. Uh, cool. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yep. John was acquitted and you'll never believe this. But that night he incited another mob. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I almost said mom. He incited a mom. You get those moms worked That's up. That's right. Mom. Oh. oh. <laughs> Ever since you had London, I've been trying to incite you just every day. You see, he learned a thing or two since he was last in town. Getting the older white people riled up had been a real hoot. But it hadn't really terrorized the black kids who were now attending Clinton High School. In order to really stop integration and really make life miserable for the Clinton 12, he needed to get his rhetoric inside the school. So he organized a junior white citizens council because he realized... Mini KKK. Yeah. Fun size. Cool. He realized that in order to prove that integration was bad, it needed to actually be bad in the school. Because evidently... You know, people were freaking out, but inside the school, I mean, it sounds pretty awful to me, but, you know, yeah, all hell had not quite broken loose. Yeah. Yeah, because... What? Because hatred is handed down. It doesn't, like... <sighs> oh, I can't even do... Uh. What? <laughs> well, it's not... It doesn't come naturally. It's not like these kids would see, oh, black kids in their school and automatically hate them. It's something that is taught to them by their parents, and it is horrible, and I obviously don't need to tell anyone that. (laughs) No. Those two guys are like, wait, what? (laughs) No. So I guarantee you, yeah, in that school, things were probably fine for the most part. You know what this reminds me of? Have you ever heard the story about, like the housing situation in Kansas City about how oh gosh I wish I would have like memorized this because it made me think of this when I was watching Mm -hmm. this documentary so you know racist douchebags controlled all the real estate in Kansas City blah 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 and then integration started to happen and you know all these real estate folks were poised to make a ton of money Mm -hmm. off of white flight Mm -hmm. but apparently like when the first few families moved into some white neighborhoods, yeah. you know, there was all this talk about, like, oh, it's going to be so terrible. Oh, my God. And really, like... It was fine. Now, I'm sure it wasn't fine for the black people. Oh, I'm sure. But, yeah. Yeah. Like, nothing happened. Yeah. And so these rich douchebags were like, oh, shit. If this hap- if nothing happens, mm-hmm. then there won't be white flight. We're not going to make all this money. Mm-hmm. So then they started going to the prisons, and as soon as someone was let out, they would, like, take some, like, really scary person mm-hmm. and be like, here, live in this nice neighborhood. And then yeah. it freaked out people. And, you yeah. know, anyway. Yeah. 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 So that, that was kind of his idea. Yeah. Was we've got to make sure it's really bad in this school. Yeah. So, you know, he started his little junior club, and only 10 or 20 students joined, but, you know, nothing One like bad a... bad apple spoils the bunch. No. 
What's that saying that's supposed to be positive? Never doubt that a small group of people can change the world. Oh, God. Well, I hate that in well, this instance. Yep. <laughs> but it's true either way. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so their mission was just to yeah, be awful. Yeah, make these kids' lives miserable. Yeah, and they did. Yeah. So for the Clinton 12, this was when things got really bad. When the girls walked down the hall, people would yank their hair And it was painful and scary. You never knew when it was going to happen. And when you turned around, everyone acted like they hadn't seen anything. Mm -hmm. White kids filled the Clinton 12's lockers with hateful notes. One of the ladies actually kept some of the notes and showed them. I mean, yeah, just awful. William Latham, who was another member of the Clinton 12, regularly had all his stuff ruined because the white kids would fill his locker with syrup and eggs and basically anything that would ruin his stuff. And no waffle maker to be. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, you bitch. <laughs> and that was what he was upset about, really. <laughs> That's right. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, it made his books unusable. Of course, yes. Blah, blah, blah. And he yeah. was like. What Holiday Inn breakfast station did you pluck this stuff from? Am I right? That's right. When the Clinton 12 would walk down the hall, people would step on the back of their heels. It got to the point that by the end of the day, their heels would be bleeding. Yeah. But yeah, this is a horrible situation for the white kids. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, this just was not working. Principal DJ Britton who had taken the very moderate stance of... D.J. Britton! <laughs> Another one! <laughs> I'm sorry, I hate this story. I have to <clears throat> break it up with stupid shout-outs to D.J. <laughs> and mentions of waffles. That's right. Very good. Thank you. That's why we're all here. <laughs> So he's like, I can't have a situation where black kids are literally unsafe in this high school. Yeah. So he sat down with the football team and he was like, look, guys, I need your help. You're the biggest, baddest boys in the whole darn school. Mm. And what he you... shouldn't have winked at the end. <laughs> he was kind of creepy. <laughs> no, that's not fair. I, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> he said, what you boys do in those tight little pants is just <laughs> remarkable. <laughs> You take that ball all the way down the field. That's right. He'd seen football games before, just like me. just like you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he was like, I need you to help keep the peace in this school. If you see a white student going after one of the black students, I need you to intervene. And so these members of the football team agreed. Wow. Yeah, and this seemed to work. The football players kind of had the social standing and the beefy bodies to stop these racist douchebags. (laughs) oh you think their beefy bodies were inconsequential (laughs) let me tell you some skinny little tweeb says hey stop it you know that's not going to have the same effect as like some big beefy person you're right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's correct i await your apology (laughs) (laughs) but really this whole situation was out of control at this point the racist white people were so fired up that a bunch of them were now running as pro-segregationists for public office. Good Jesus. Lord. So the black families who had bravely fought for integration were now wondering if it was even worth right. it. Right. There was a chance that one of their kids would be killed over this. So 
I didn't see this in other places, but I saw it in the Tennessee Encyclopedia. It said that at this point, the parents of the Clinton 12 decided that they would stop sending their kids to Clinton Mm -hmm. High School. But then came December 4th, 1956. It was Election Day in Clinton. And with, you know, all the pro-segregation candidates on the ballot, things were super tense. And that morning, Reverend Paul Turner, who was the white pastor for the Clinton Baptist Church, offered to escort the Clinton 12 to school that morning. He and two other men, a mill worker named Sidney Davis and a local attorney named Leo Burnett, all walked the kids to school. Okay, so pause. Some sources say these other two guys were black. I've seen pictures... They appear white to me, mm-hmm. and other sources say they're white. And one source said that Leo Burnett had actually been an attorney who fought for segregation, but now, in light of all this bullshit, was like, you know what, I'm going to walk these kids to school. Wow. Anyway, okay. but, I mean, again, conflicting sources. Yeah. So after the kids were safely in the school, Reverend Paul began walking back to his church, but members of the White Citizens Council had seen the Reverend walking the Clinton 12 to school And they'd hated it. So seven men and two women surrounded him and attacked him, and they beat the shit out of him. Oh, my gosh. A white woman named Vivian Shoopman was right there, and she was horrified by what she saw. This was in public in broad daylight, and so she yelled for some men to intervene, and none of them would. So she was just like, well, fuck it. And so she jumped in and started yanking on the arms of the attackers. I've got goosebumps. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, blood was streaming down the reverend's face. It looked like it was coming out of his eyes. I mean, he had just been brutally attacked. At one point, they threw him against a car, and the reverend's blood just got all over this car. Paul Turner eventually got free, but journalists took photos of that bloodied car And the photos shocked people when they became huge news. Mm -hmm. But the mob wasn't finished. A few minutes later, two pro-segregationists broke into the school, looking for members of the Clinton 12 to attack. But the home ec teacher spotted them and tried to hold them off. And fun twist, the home ec teacher was the principal's wife. And her name was Clarice Britton. And I had to look so hard to find her because fucking she was first name. Just referred to as, as the principal's, the principal's wife. wife. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> turns out um, when she was born, she was given a name. Weird, weird, and it wasn't the principal's wife. <laughs> So, of course, these two guys who broke in, they saw the principal as the enemy and they realized who she was. And so they went to try to attack her. And luckily, a student came by. Another source says the principal himself came by, Mm -hmm. saw this happening, like shooed them off. And once this had happened to the principal's wife, whose name was Clarice, the principal was like, that's it. We're closing school for however long it takes to yeah. get the situation under control. This was so unsettling for the people of Clinton that these attacks. <laughs> oh, OK. I'm, I'm sorry. I worded this very strangely. <laughs> I remember when I wrote this, I thought that's a weird way to word it, but I can't think of another way. Anyway, now here I am. Tripping you up. Tripping. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, what I'm trying to tell you is that 
you know, these douchebags, they thought they'd have one effect, had the opposite effect instead. How'd you write it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Here's what I wrote. This was so unsettling for the people of Clinton that these attacks ironically resulted in the opposite effect of their intention, which... That's that's fine, but there's something about it that just, like, doesn't really flow for me. You know how I like to flow. Mm -hmm. So that day, the people of Clinton showed up for the election, and they made their opinions known. Here was the opinion. Pro-segregation candidates can go suck a dick. Yeah. Or whatever you don't want to suck. That's right. Because I don't want people enjoying it. That's right. You know. Yeah. Go suck a... Lemon. Hot pickle. Yeah. Mm. Everyone at lunch day, Brandy revealed that she hates hot pickles. That's exactly right. Who knew that one could have such a strong opinion? That's right. Pickles aren't supposed to be hot. Well, yeah, if they're fried pickles, you want them hot? No, I don't want them hot. Uh, you want a truth. cold fried pickle? No, you don't want any fried pickle. No, that's the truth. I don't want any pickles. Well, so then, but I tried the fried pickle. <laughs> she was very adventurous. I was. Last I week. Just, yeah, <laughs> I tried to step outside my comfort zone, try a fried pickle, and that'll I was teach you. Disturbed by the temperature of the pickle, and it's my own fault. I didn't put any thought into it. I should have known it'd be a hot pickle, but the taste of that hot pickle haunted my <laughs> mouth for days. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, bad news. She's she's never been the same. <laughs> she tried one tiny bite of something she did not enjoy. That's right, and it just ruined her. Let's see if I do that again. <laughs> <laughs> so that Sunday, Reverend Turner delivered a sermon, badly beaten, severely injured, to a crowd of seven hundred people. And he told them, there is no color line around the cross. Hmm. You know, I don't... mm, No, I shouldn't. Mm -mm. (laughs) I don't think it's that powerful. I don't either. (laughs) Right? I mean, I I know I'm being a dick right now. But they showed a lot of footage of the sermon in this documentary. Other places quoted it. Yeah. You know, I'm being such a dick. That yeah. this dude was this hospitalized for days, sh- and he like get out of him, and we're being bitches about it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's very moving. You're absolutely right. Well, no, we should just have not said anything. Yeah, just cut all that. What's that line from Bambi? If, if you, you can't, can't say, say something nice, nice don't, don't say anything, anything at all. all. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, if that were the case, we wouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't even have that pie cast. Oh, you're right, because we would talk shit on the pie. What if it was mealy? Yeah, we we would be honest, and that could tank us. But you know what? I'll be damned if I'm going to lie about pie. That's right. I lie about all Get kinds no of other sponsorships stuff. from Edmonds. God, fuck Edmonds. <laughs> what about a Sarah Lee pie? Oh, that, that's great. Okay, Sarah Lee. I think surprisingly good. Yeah. Could we do cakes too? Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I like. <laughs> What do you like? Those Pepperidge Farm cakes that you get in the freezer. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have strong childhood memories? I do. Yeah. Yeah. When we would go camping, we would always have a Pepperidge Farm cake. When we had our family vacation this past Mm -hmm. summer, we got the Pepperidge Farm cake. And Norman and Jay were both kind of like, I don't understand why this has to happen. And we were like, (laughs) it has to happen. (laughs) Now I'm going to have to get one of those because we've talked about it. Um. You know what I cannot stop thinking about? What? 
I made this cake for Kyla's. Oh, um, Kyla's big promotion party. Yeah. I made. Uh, I don't mean to brag to you people, but I made a buttercream frosting that was to die for. <laughs> My whole family's dead tragically because they died for it. Brandy will inevitably cover this whole case. You poisoned your family. With <laughs> I realized that they might want some of that frosting and yeah. I wanted all of it to myself yeah. so I poisoned their portions uh-huh. ate a bunch of icing myself yeah okay and if that makes me a monster then lock me up <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> we sure will I will plead not guilty <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was a really weird tangent that's because we don't want to talk. <laughs> we don't want to talk about this anymore it's just it's you know what the problem with this story is it's Prolonged sadness. Yeah, it is. Is there a happy ending? What do you fucking think? Well, no, because racism is still very alive <laughs> here in the United States, so I'm guessing not. <laughs> no, this is the end. This is the, racism ends at the end of this case? You know how you're like, whatever happened to racism? <laughs> I read about it in the history books. Well, this is the end of it right here. <laughs> Great. Anyway... So, um, he gave a very moving speech. Oh, yeah. So he gave that sermon. Yeah. I'm so sorry to that guy. He, his wife said that he, all the way through the rest of his life, he would wake up with these night terrors. I'm sure. PTSD. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, you bet your ass the Clinton 12 has PTSD. Yes. I was thinking about this. You know, this is like before the time when everybody was going to therapy and yeah. all this stuff. And holy shit, you talk about needing serious help. Yes. This is all a plug for better help. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Use our no. promo. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> so, you know, there's all this unrest. The reverend has gotten beaten up. Yeah. You know. Clarice almost got beaten up. Her name's Clarice. Again, her name is Clarice. Yes. Okay. Meanwhile, the school board and the leadership in Clinton was pissed at the judicial system because they were like, look, we complied with your orders. We integrated our school. And now our city is a heaping hellscape. And you aren't helping us. A heaping hellscape? (laughs) (laughs) It's not really a thing, is it? (laughs) It's a heaping hellscape. (laughs) I don't think I have to tell you that that was not in my notes. <laughs> the thing is, like, you run out of ways to say, and it was bad. It was real, real bad. It's a heaping hellscape. You know, the romance between Franklin and John did lighten things up, but not for everybody. Not everybody was happy for the guys, That's you know? Right. So, anyway, it was a heaping hellscape. <laughs> so they're like, you're not helping us. We have people here terrorizing our citizens. Also, some of our citizens are terrorizing other yeah. citizens, but, you know, we don't mention that. Um, beating people up. And we have this court order barring people from interfering with integration, but the court order doesn't do shit if it isn't enforced. Yeah. And then they kind of mm, 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 shook yeah. their fingers around. Well, they wag their finger. Wag. You don't shake you your, wag finger. your finger. That's yeah. kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. You don't shake a finger. You wag it. You don't shake your tail either. You wag it. Mm-hmm. But you do shake your tail feather. <laughs> I knew you were going <laughs> to say that! <laughs> You set me up. <laughs> I think we might spend too much time together. 
That uh, very well might be the case. <laughs> I think I'm being super original, and you're like, nope. Yeah. And that cute no, that was coming out your mouth. <laughs> so the school board met up with Judge Robert Taylor and U.S. Attorney John C. Crawford, and they said, please help us. And they were like, okay, we will do the best thing ever. We will set up a task force. Okay. What? Does it work? Do you not respect? Respect. <laughs> Have some respect for a task force. <laughs> you want to get shit done? Create a task, a task force. force. You know, some days I don't make my bed. I had to really change that habit, so I started a task a force. A bed making task force. Yeah, yeah. How about you? You had to had to. <laughs> change things up in your life start up a little task, task force, force or anything <laughs> the next day they sent in eight u.s marshals to work with local law enforcement to investigate everything that had happened at clinton high school okay but in the meantime they mm-hmm. need to like fucking line the streets with the national guard and like block the entrance to the school and like what else? I don't know. A tank on every corner. <laughs> you know. You know. There's real casual tanks everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> you know what they could have done? Mm-hmm. Could have turned the fire hoses on these protesters. Yeah, sure could have. Hmm. Hmm. They didn't take that approach okay, with great. the white protesters. Great. Weird. Were they just like, hey, hey, I, excuse me, I hate to bother you. Excuse me, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a second? <laughs> I was wondering if you could just not look, be look. a total racist douchebag. I'm as upset about this as you are. <laughs> I feel the exact same way. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, you know, mm-hmm. there's a court order, and oh, yeah. you know, and I, I'm just the I'm just the middleman here. Mm-hmm. So don't don't shoot the messenger. Uh, yeah, 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 uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> We could be police officers. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> anyway, that's our impression of. Um, never mind so anyone who was found to have interfered with a court order would be in big trouble Hmm. yeah Hmm. sure enough they arrested 16 people so suck on that and did nothing with them oh wait a second ready to eat those words right up yeah prove me wrong okay John Casper and his merry band of douchebags, you know, they were the yeah. 16, and they were put on trial, and an all-white jury deliberated for two hours and 20 minutes and found them, holy shit, guilty of conspiring to interfere with integration of Clinton High School. But do not get excited, because uh, from what I could tell, John Casper got like six months, and like six of these douchebags got probation and they all appealed and every last one of them can open mouth kiss my asshole yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's a standing invitation John Casper's in a committed relationship with Franklin (laughs) 
I bet not. I bet he cheats on everyone. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, I'm sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like, okay, every now and then we make jokes on this podcast and then people think it's real. There is no There's Franklin. There's no Franklin. That, yeah, we do. I think we do have to spell that out yeah, at this point. Yeah. They're going to be like, where did I, did I miss? Did his wow. dad a man named Franklin? My God. Hmm. Well, this is interesting. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, pretty sure he was straight. I guess I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) who cares? Yes. So in the meantime, Clinton High School had reopened and the Clinton 12 continued to attend school. And in May of 1957, a member of the Clinton 12, Bobby Kane, became the first black graduate of a court-ordered integrated school in the South. And it was historic and a huge moment. And after commencement, a group of boys cornered him and they cut the lights and they beat him up. Excellent. Eventually, the lights came back on and some teachers intervened and his dad showed up and took him back home. That's fucking terrible. Yeah, I don't like it when sources leave this story out mm-hmm. because I, you know, a lot of them are like, and then he, and then he graduated. graduated. It was a story, and, and it's a like, shit beat out of him. Yes, that's really important. Yeah. The following year, Gail Ann Epps became the first black woman to graduate Clinton High School. I guess girl, right? Because she's a high school student. Not anymore. She's officially an adult. Anyway, yeah. I always worry about calling people girls. Right. Or women. Exactly. And that's why I just Sometimes call people bitches. Condescending, yeah. 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 That's why I call everyone a cunt. That's right. <laughs> it's easier And then that no way. one can be offended. That's right. And um, this story isn't over. You thought it was over, didn't yeah, you? We you were starting it. to yeah, like, yeah. You were, like back up. you were like, oh, life is oh. good. I survived this terrible story. Well, no, you didn't. Oh, no. Because at 4.22 a.m. on October 5th, 1958, three loud blasts broke through the early morning silence of Clinton, Tennessee. Clinton High School, which had been right in the middle of town, had been blown to bits. Oh, my gosh. hmm 156 sticks of dynamite tucked into three critical areas of the school had been set off. The school was completely destroyed. So, kind of ironically, I know it's kind of douchey of me to be like, hmm, but for the next few years, all 800 Clinton High School students had to be bussed out to a formerly abandoned elementary school in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Wow. While the town worked to build a new Clinton High Mm -hmm. School. Uh, No one was held responsible for the bombing of the original Clinton High School, but people i mean it doesn't really take a genius to think that john casper was probably involved somehow where are they now these days the clinton 12 are celebrated for their incredible courage the yeah i think that's a really important because that was such a difficult situation that they were put into it given probably no choice in yeah yeah one of the things that I thought was so interesting about this documentary was a lot of the kids talked about like, well, and I say kids, I mean, everyone's yeah. old now, but they were like, yeah, my aunt, my mom, my dad, whoever never talked about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which that makes it yeah. so sad. To yeah. Me. 
but it was just a, a painful thing mm-hmm. that they lived through. Yeah. In the hopes that life would be better for other people Future down the road. Generations, yeah. Mm. So the Green McAdoo School, which had served as the city's black elementary school, was turned into a museum and cultural center in 2006. And at the front of the museum is this beautiful bronze statue of each of the Clinton 12 holding their books, walking together to school. It's a really cool statue. Wow. And I want to just end with reading all of their names mm-hmm. and pronouncing each of them perfectly. <laughs> I'll also be naming their favorite cookies. <laughs> no. Maurice Souls, Anna Caswell, Alfred Williams, Regina Turner-Smith, William Latham, Gail Ann Epps Upton, Ronald Gordon Poochie Hayden, Joanne Crozier Allen Boyce, Robert Thacker, Bobby Kane, Minnie Ann Dickey Jones, and Alva McSwain. And that is the story of the Clinton 12. Hmm. Yeah, I'd never heard of that. And I'll thank you to never talk about it again. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I think it's a really important story. I think it's great that you to, never I, wanted to. <laughs> I thought it was so interesting. It really makes me wonder what would have happened if there hadn't been any fanfare about this. Like, yeah. If there'd been no media coverage, right. if that fucking douchebag hadn't shown up. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it would have still... There would have been something. Absolutely. But it couldn't have been anything like this. Mm -mm. Here's an interesting thing about this John Casper fella. Eventually, like, people started to really not like him. And I mean by, like, like everybody. Uh And so then he just started working, like, clerical jobs and whatever. He got out of politics and all that stuff. And then he died. So... (laughs) (laughs) With no friends. And, again, I can't stress this enough, he was ugly and boring. Very good. (laughs) Did I tell you Norman and I decided, like, many years ago that that was probably, like, the worst insult, to be ugly and boring? Yeah, it probably is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because he doesn't care if we call him a racist. No, he loves that. Yeah. You're ugly and boring, dude. Yeah. Hmm, Suck on that. You're ordinary. (laughs) What? Ordinary. Nothing special about mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't you think everybody wants to be a little bit special? I think that's a pretty big insult. I don't know, because I've always been very special. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't really put myself in the shoes of others in that sense, you know? I mean, you know firsthand how special I am. That's I do. I do. Holy shit. You know what we need to do now? Another ad. Reset and rejuvenate. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You know what I think we ought to do right now? Oh, hop on over to the Discord, take some questions? I think so. Hmm. Mm. LGTC Kristen, mm-hmm. this one's for you. All right, lay it on me. Slow clap for Dick wants to know, did you watch season two of I Think You Should Leave? Oh, yes. Did you love it? It's hilarious. Mm. I it's not your kind of humor. There's some cringy stuff, but oh my gosh. I think I think you should leave on Netflix is hilarious. Sketch comedy so damn good. Mm. And you will now be forced to watch it. Mm. Aussie Brandy asks, does it still blow your mind that you have fans all over the globe? Yeah. Absolutely. It is insane. It blows my mind that we have any fans at all. At all. Yes. <laughs> Both of us have gone all our lives without any fans, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, this is quite shocking to the system. <laughs> oh. Dog Lady Lawyer says more episodes with Kyla and Casey. Yeah, I think we could arrange that. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) They know what they did. (laughs) Jury masked. No one wants this. What? When are we going to get a full musical episode of LGTC? Oh, we're about halfway there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'll just have to piece together all the singing. No, Brandy. Oh my God. Oh my God! For my Baba, please. Christmas Eve and these shoes are just our size. I hope nothing horrible happens to you. <laughs> Norm's Beanbag says to celebrate your 200th episode. How about a reunion episode with Norman DP? Oh my! Ooh, can we handle it? I don't it? know that we can. I don't think <laughs> you can, can handle this. this. Woo. Snowfeather asks, where does the obsession with craft singles come from? Do we have an obsession with craft singles? I I think we just have a normal amount of love for them as two Midwest ladies. Yeah. Yeah. We were born this way, baby. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You know, that's really funny. I would have never (laughs) described myself as obsessed, but but yeah, probably to someone else. Yeah, someone outside the region. Yeah, probably seems that way. I only eat like five a day. What? Okay, if you've never had a grilled cheese with a craft single, though, you're not living life. You're not living. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Oh, Fierce Mama Llama asks, when will you all finally do your anti-MLM episode or series? Herbal Life for you, Kristen, and Monat for, is it Monat for bring? Oh, yeah, that's that here. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That would be so good. <sighs> I, so I have looked into that stuff. It's It's kind of like the case I did today where it's just a ton of cases yeah and and 
It's a mess. It is. And then we would have the Huns. I was going to say, we would just be asking to get. Yes. Our ass is blasted. Am I right? Is that, that's what you were going to say. I don't think that's quite how I was going to phrase it, but. (laughs) Those beach body gals would blast our asses. (laughs) Ooh, the ginger snap wants to know, what is your biggest flex to date? Brandy, what's your biggest flex? I mean, we heard all about your big, strong shoulders. (laughs) Stop it! (laughs) Congratulations on those big, strong shoulders. That's right. I mean, have you even seen a trapezius muscle this well-defined before? (laughs) Is it the thing about sticking your whole fist in your mouth? Yeah, that's pretty good, right? I mean, you sure are proud of it. Don't do... Ew. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) That is so gross. (laughs) That's pretty good, right? Yeah. It's a big mouth. Sure is. Mm -hmm. You have made so many men so happy all at the same time. (laughs) Stop that. How dare you? <laughs> what's your What's your biggest flex? I don't know. Well, there was that one time that I was in that class, and I said, I, I uh, let all those Northeasterners know how to spell Des Moines. So <laughs> the, the S is silent. Yeah, they had no idea, but I knew, so they could all kiss my ass. <laughs> it was a pretty big day for me. <laughs> Uh, Alicia NC wants to know how's COVID stuff going in your respective states. Oh, just great. Well, Kristen, in your great state of Missouri, uh-huh. the attorney general just uh, sued the school. What is it? Like fifty school districts for having mask mandates? Yeah, we're we're got it. We got it totally under control. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people are idiots. What can we say? Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? It's not much better over in Kansas. I don't think anyone assumed it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have, um, we do have a fairly progressive governor, but a very uh, conservative legislature. So mm-hmm. that causes all kinds of problems. <laughs> Keeps things spicy, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> Mm. The ginger snap wants to know, are you for or against pumpkin spice? I am a very basic white bitch. I love pumpkin spice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not going to turn down pumpkin yeah. spice. I like it. In, I like the smell of it. Mm-hmm. In like candle and stuff. I don't want like pumpkin spice scented body shit. Like I don't want lotion. That I don't think like you should buy spice. body shit. I don't know why. This- <laughs> I create my own. <laughs> It's organic. (laughs) Yeah, I like a pumpkin spice candle. Mm -hmm. I like pumpkin spice flavored things. Mm -hmm. Like lotions? No. (laughs) Like a latte or a muffin. Careful, everyone. She's getting really excited. A pumpkin spice muffin. (laughs) She's getting so excited. You know what I made this week? What? 
So I had some bananas that were going bad. This uh-huh. has nothing to do with pumpkin spice. I, I could tell. It was just like <laughs> we were on the baked goods yeah. train, and now yeah. we're just taking off. I made these banana muffins mm-hmm. that then had this, like, gooey, sticky bun pecan topping Ooh. on top of them. Okay. So fucking good. <laughs> did you outdo yourself that day? I did. You know what? Hmm. Okay. Obviously, David is my biggest hype man. Like, he thinks... Like, everything I do is amazing, which is just love him. (laughs) I took them out of the oven, and he was like, oh, my God, those look like those could be in a store. (laughs) What have I told you? (laughs) That David is a professional actor. That you pay him? (laughs) You pay him to say sweet things to me? In reality, he thought those muffins looked like shit. <laughs> no, you really know your baked goods, mm. ma'am. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-hmm. This is not a question, but I would like to point out that in the Discord, Captain Fart Sales again <laughs> has shared a picture of Mr. DNA from Jurassic Park. You know what he's saying there right now? Dino, Dino DNA. DNA. <laughs> you know... Finally, you had a real reason to say that in an episode. That's right. How does it feel? It feels pretty good. I also feel like I should tell you now, because I think it makes me kind of cool by association. David's sister has a tattoo of Mr. DNA, and it says 100% that bitch. I love it. And you're somehow taking credit for no, this? No, I'm not taking credit for it. I just uh-huh. think that, like, because I'm, you know, because related to also her, I'm know. also very cool. You're related to David's sister? Well, like, Uh-oh. you know. Bad news. <laughs> That's why London has a hand growing out of dare you. My baby is so fucking beautiful and perfect. And I'm not at all related to David. Just his sister. Stop it. <laughs> Uh, 12-year-old husband <laughs> would like to know, what fall things are you most looking forward to this year? Uh-uh. We're not fucking falling for this. Because the last time we had a conversation about things we were looking forward to, it was at the beginning of 2020. <laughs> we are never doing that again. We look forward to nothing. And we went on and on about what a great year it was going to oh, be. Oh, God, we and did. people message us about it all the time and how sad it is for us <laughs> <laughs> that happened. People do get they really do. sad all the time. They're like, "Oh, it's really sweet." And, you know, you were talking about how you were really looking forward to 2020. You're just that's so sad to hear you guys say that. You know, the other episode they talked about <laughs> is the episode where we talked about the SARS pandemic. <laughs> and we're like, and "Wow, everybody's wearing masks. It was so crazy." <laughs> That sounds terrifying. Yeah. So you're telling me you can catch it and not know you have it? <laughs> yeah, I would go nuts. <laughs> oh, no. The Ginger Snap wants to know, I think this is a question for you. What's your favorite souvenir you've either purchased for yourself or had someone else give to you? Fuck, I love souvenirs. <laughs> oh, I know what mine is. What? It's what you got me. So, okay, 
I did a case a while back on the Dion quintuplets, Mm -hmm. and I talked in the episode about how, like, and that's a set of quintuplets who basically became like a zoo attraction in Canada. And I talked in that episode about how there was like these fans and like all this memorabilia around them. And I was like, there's a fan on eBay, but I would never buy anything. (laughs) And you bought it for me. Yes. And it's in my office. On display constantly. <laughs> I love that thing. I think it's so cool. What about I'm you? I'm so glad. Um, gosh, I don't know. I have like a little magnet collection, and so mm-hmm. people get us magnets sometimes. So I, I guess that you know, I love souvenir stores. You so do. You I got that. that I can pick. A you got that souvenir. shirt from the Ripley's Believe It or I Not love Museum that shirt. <laughs> I love souvenir shops. <laughs> Every time we go just to the Kansas City Zoo, we go through the gift shop and I get a souvenir. What? Yeah. From the Kansas City Zoo? Fuck yes. It's like 20 minutes from it's your a house. It's great gift shop. I agree. <laughs> I have a... I have... Oh, that might be my favorite. What? It's a polar bear Christmas ornament. <laughs> And I got it in Kansas City. <laughs> okay. I've thought of another souvenir that I love. Uh-huh. Okay, so you and I both love Christmas ornaments. We sure fucking do. Super love them. Yes. Okay. For years, my family would go to Tantara mm-hmm. um, for Thanksgiving. And it was like this, well, is this tacky hotel, the yeah. Lake of the Ozarks. It is now a Margaritaville. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But before they switched over, my sister bought me an ornament of a bear juggling presents Mm -hmm. with a goofy look on his face. Because obviously, why wouldn't it be? Mm -hmm. And he's got a banner over his head that reads Tantara. Mm -hmm. I treasure that thing. Norman hates it. So similarly... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I love all things creepy. Mm-hmm. I have a or- a Christmas ornament porcelain replica of the Stanley Hotel. Yeah, yeah, Estes Park from the from the gift shop at the Stanley in Estes Park. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty treasured it's possession. Pretty, it's pretty good. <laughs> Your place ever goes up in flames, you're going to be saving that. <laughs> <laughs> Should we wrap it up there and do some yeah, Supreme let's Court do inductions? Some inductions? All right, I suppose we will. We'll try and keep it together this week. Oh my gosh. If anyone didn't listen to Brandy lose her ever loving mind in last week's inductions, go back and listen. <laughs> I died. I died during them and then came back to life for this very episode right here. That's right. All right. This week, we will be reading your names and favorite cookies. Amanda Denton. Oreos. Courtney Felt. Chocolate Chunk. Kimberly. Chilled sugar cookie from Crumble. I have had that and it's quite good. Wait, does she just put it in the fridge and that's what makes it chilled? No, it comes chilled. Some of their cookies, okay. There's a whole science behind it. And let me tell you, last week I learned that the founder of Crumble Cookies is 29 years old. And it was very upsetting to me. (laughs) I wish I I wasn't this petty. I know, exactly. 
Yeah, some of their cookies come chilled, some of them come warm. It depends on the flavor and what consistency they want you to enjoy that cookie at. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy for I'm people who are happy. younger than me and way more successful. <laughs> That's right. Good for you. Good for you. Jackie Gallagher Lassard. Brown butter chocolate chip cookie. Morgan Anderson. Soft loft house cookies. Katie Wilder. Lemon cookies. Kathy Feuerborn. Crispy chocolate chip with extra chocolate chips. Suzanne Salzman. Oreos dipped in milk. Rosie McCaffrey. Oh my. Sicilian lemon and white chocolate cookies from Marks and Spencer's. They make me feel bougie. I felt bougie just saying it. it. Does lemon go with white chocolate? I guess you wouldn't know because you've never been to Marks and Spencer's and had the cookie. <laughs> I've never heard of Marks and Spencer's. You walk by the display, you're like, does this even go? You're like just angling for a free sample. Yeah. I'm skeptical. I'm super skeptical of that cookie flavor pairing. I've had a lot of cookies in my day. I've never even heard of anything like this. <laughs> I suppose you could win me over with a sample. Faith Winters. Oatmeal lace cookies. Emily DeFries. A Polish butter cookie. She says it's kind of, it's usually filled with sweet cheese or jam. Sweet cheese. <laughs> I bet she means like cream cheese. Sweet what? Cheese. I know, to us it sounds very weird, but I bet it's like a cream cheese type thing, don't you think? Oh no. <laughs> you know what this mandelflar needs? <laughs> Some sweet cheese. Sweet cheese. <laughs> Um, here's what I bet. I bet it's just a slice of Kraft Singles dipped in sugar. <laughs> Sweet cheese. Sweet cheese. <laughs> Emily, let us know. Taylor Shaw. Deep fried Oreos from the fair. Raytown Twins. What? Cookie dough ice cream. Well, that's not... All right, we'll let it slide, Raytown Twins. <laughs> Mark W. Hot and slightly undercooked chocolate chip. Uh, Mark W. Here, uh... My dad, this is fun, 10 pounds fun fact. Okay. This is my dad's long-term friend. Really? Mark W's known me my whole life. Well, say his whole... Mark... Wait, maybe no, no, he doesn't, maybe he doesn't want to... Oh, Patty, bleep that, bleep sorry. That. Yeah, come on. I'm sorry. Maybe he wants to remain anonymous. Well, not super anonymous. No, just Mark W. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie Perkins. My long-term friend's mom's coffee toffee bars. Coffee? Toffee bars. <laughs> there was a. Well, I mean, I had to crawl through That's some people right. to get to that yeah. one. Claudia. <laughs> Claudia, a bear. Anything squishy and melty. I That's think. Right. I think. Yeah, I think you should say any. There. Yeah, any cookie that's squishy and melty. <laughs> that could get. Uh, that could get weird fast. <laughs> Brandy Royal. Thin mints. Maddie Gimbert. Double coat Tim Tams. Claire Fordyce. You know, with the double coat, it's actually less effective. <laughs> like a condom? Yeah. Is that what you were going for there? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I snorted at my own joke. <laughs> you snorted twice at your own joke. I am so funny. <laughs> oh. Okay, go ahead and okay. again for Claire. Claire Fordyce. Basic chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> K 
Carrie Amble. My mom's devil cookies. Devil. They're from the devil. Not devil's food cookies. No, just devil's. Devil cookies. They're the devil's cookies. <laughs> Welcome to the Supreme Court. Woo. <laughs> Thank you for all of your support. If you're looking for other ways to support us, please. Please. <laughs> please. Get your fleas. Please find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Patreon. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And then head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a five-star. No, leave us a five-star rating and review. And then be sure to join us next week. When we'll be experts on two whole new new topics. Podcast adjourned. Please join us next time. I am still laughing at my own joke. <laughs> the devil code tip tips are nearly as effective. Oh, oh. No, folks. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. <laughs> And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. I got my info. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got my info from the documentary The Clinton 12, as well as reporting from the Tennessee Encyclopedia, blackpast.org, and newspapers.com. I got my info from an episode of Dateline, an episode of Snapped, the podcast, True Crime Family, Killer Profiles, and Murderpedia.org. For a full list of our sources, visit LGTCpodcast.com. It's just really hard being this hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.